Coronavirus is the biggest threat this country has faced for decades. We're seeing the devastating impact of this invisible killer. There will come a moment when no health service in the world could possibly cope because there won't be enough ventilators, enough intensive care beds, enough doctors and nurses. That is the moment of real danger. The new variant is out of control and we need to bring it under control and this news about the new variant has been a, a, an incredibly difficult end to frankly an awful year and it's important for everybody to act essentially act like they might have the virus and that's the way that we can control it together the way ahead is hard and it is still true that many lives will sadly be lost our advisory group on new and emerging respiratory virus threats NERVTAG, has spent the last few days analyzing this new variant it may be up to 70 percent more transmissible than the old variant, the original version of the disease. You, you might be infectious, and that's the way that we have to behave at this moment. Assume you might be infectious, assume you might be infectious, and that's the way that we have to behave at this moment. Today, the United Kingdom's chief medical officers have advised that the country should move to alert level five, meaning that uh, if action is not taken, NHS capacity may be overwhelmed within 21 days and it's going to spread further and I, I must level with you, level with the, the British public, um, more families, uh, many more families are going to lose loved ones before their time. Your colleague on stage, John Edmonds, has just sent me a statement saying that as far as he's concerned this is the worst moment of the epidemic because of the extraordinary inf infectivity of this new strain. I, I agree with that. I mean, this is a horrible moment for sure. I to say, as I'm really sorry to hear about your two relatives who died from this virus. I mean, it is a very dangerous virus uh, for many people. We're looking to move to a different regime. So as we come to the fourth step, we will change the basic tools that we have used to control human behavior.
after reading that little line, I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with. They are, in a group they might come and fucking intimidate me and whatnot. But fuck, they do not understand what the fuck just one person like myself is capable of. They do not fucking understand. No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood blood. Never! I will fucking die fucking fighting for my forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. sniping Charles discussing with um, John Cullen the uh, John Cullen's thesis that the SARS-CoV-2 was um, influenza and I'm oh hi Lindsay how are you your, your mic's off I'm waiting for Charles to join I'm good uh, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just laying out the uh, what this is all about and so I'll just let the intro or let me get that intro bit out of the way and then um, we'll all we'll all pile in so the the premise of John Cullen's thesis is that there's been widespread avian influenza it's impacted a whole bunch of obviously animal breeds and I think a kind of linchpin piece of evidence is the work from uh, Zhao and Adrian and uh, Stephen Quay, which identified hemagglutinin in the raw reads um, at the beginning of the pandemic from the first five patients. Um, I think this is weak evidence myself. Um, Charles, welcome. Hello. Um, you, you've jacked that mic up, sir. <clears throat> uh. More cowbell, or is that good? Uh, more cowbell, less less Kevin, I think, right now. Let me get me off the screen. Mm. Let's do that. All right, that sh that should be better. Um, so I don't know if you heard my sort of um 
statement at the beginning there about what this discussion is about. Um, Charles? Uh, no, but um, I assume it's... Yeah, man, well, you, you've, you've got really crank your mic up. I don't know sure. why it's so so low, dude. Uh, hold on. Let me see. Yeah, I don't know why either. Is it is it on Max? Um, no. Yeah, it's it's better when you're speaking directly into it. Otherwise, it, it, we're missing the. Is that too much? That's or... perfect. Okay. Um. So, yeah, I just laid out what I'm, you know, what I see as the primary evidence for his claims, and obviously there's the um the disappearance of influenza as uh lockdowns etc took uh, a hold um i don't know if you've caught all of that or perhaps you want you just want to state what your understanding of his evidence is uh, well yeah I'll, let me um, just kind of go through <clears throat> um so what he's basically saying is that um the disappearance of the flu um was related mostly to testing and it was inorganic. And he's also more recently he's he's shifted from specifically saying that he believed it was reanimated H1N1 to saying that it could have been even more likely that it was H7N9, uh, some variant form of that, which was they there's some evidence that that was the well there's other evidence that discounts it but there's some evidence that that may have been one of the contributing strains that produced h1n1 that was first circulating in chickens in 1917 and he he sees the um, a couple of pieces of evidence that say that it might be that one that trump was kept repeating the year 1917 and early 2020, I believe, or maybe it was in 2019. I, I'd have to go back. It may have been pre-pandemic where he was talking about, he, he kept mentioning 1917 is the year of the Spanish flu. Um, but 1917 is, is what they- I've got believe. a low sound warning from you. A bit more, please. Uh oh, sorry. 1917 Better. is what they believe um, that an avian flu kind of merged with a swine variant and then produced the 1918 Spanish flu. There's actually several different theories, but that's, that's one of them. And once again, they're, they're, um, they're fear mongering with H5N1 and H7N9 now as a potential disease X. And so that's why, so, so he believes that instead of being COVID or that even if COVID had been accidentally released, that the real threat, the thing that they were trying to cover up was an, an accidental or other leak of H7N9 or some other highly pathogenic avian influenza. And of course, well, he also has raised the point about questioning why they made a vaccine for only 41 cases. And I've, obviously I've got a very different answer for that and what I believe is a much better explanation for why they made a vaccine after only 41 cases. And so, so I'll talk about that. I'll talk about um, why I believe the Spanish flu variant wasn't spreading alongside or in place of COVID or SARS-CoV-2. 
and um, I'll, I'll also talk about what it would actually look like if there was a, a transmissible outbreak of highly path pathogenic avian influenza in humans, because there is um, a body of evidence to show, including through what's called immune imprinting, that from from which we can gather some inferences about what it might actually look like. And in addition, what how what we know about epidemiology would affect any potential release like that. So that's his main arguments, and and I'm going to be basically responding to those with my own set of evidence. Um. Okay. Well, as a outsider looking in, Lindsay, what did you? What's your take on? So, as a nurse working in the ICU during the pandemic, I can just speak from my experience. Um, we had rapid the respiratory biofire test. That's what we were using until they uh, made their own uh, PCR test for the COVID-19 swab. So the rapid fire test would test for everything, coronaviruses, rhinovirus, flu, AB, RSV, everything. It's just a, it's just a broad spectrum uh, test. And we didn't have any or a lot of flu positives uh, during the time, the lockdowns and the masking and in the uh, distance, and so that—that's my take on it, and that's what I experienced. So, well, and I—I I, I do want to say also that his response to that is that the biofire tests and and the other tests that were um, being used at that time would not have picked up these particular strains. And there is oh, magic strains that they just well, not, grew out of well, just other. Well, the. the those tests don't test for all the the wide variety of, of like you know I think it's H nineteen through N eleven or something. There's yeah, I don't a, know what all was on there. I'd have to look it up to see. Yeah, so so there's a question about that, and that's part of his argument that he makes is that um, well we wouldn't have caught it, and so I'm going to. Well, one thing too is uh, the flu is more so droplet and um, contact precautions as a, you know. So it, would the droplet be too, if we were masking and like everybody was, I mean, it wouldn't have been transmitted through the mask, right? Like would droplet particle I, size? I, I, would, I would say you would expect um, some impact on. Like cross-contamination? Just on, from droplet spread, I would presume that there would be a, a drop in numbers. And this was basically reinforced by European data. So I know Euro, European flu surveillance networks were still testing for influenza. Um, they noticed the drop. I know the person who's basically <clears> head <throat> of the um, ordering the statistics EU-wide and getting them up on servers, etc. And they they had dropped. I know I've got a very fine granular um, take on what happened in Europe. And um, there was, you know, the anecdotal reports where they were saying that the undertakers were, oh, we've lost our business now in the spring of 2020 as um, the normal burden from influenza was sort of removed from the population. Um, that's, you know, that's uh, a big indicator to me um, that we're, and Australia as well was another one which was testing um, with multiplex testing. They saw flu go down. They locked down hard. And... Well that's also that's also um so i'm that's part of my argument and then 
once again, I've been arguing this for more than two years. There's a couple other things present. One is exactly what Lindsay said in, in a September 2021 article on my Substack. I wrote at length about aerosol transmission and the fact that uh, when you have non-pharmaceutical interventions for that are meant for fomite and aerial, uh, fomite and droplet spread, then that has nothing to do with aerosol spread. And so it wouldn't be surprising to see a dramatic decline, especially if there's a global lockdown, as there was, what you would expect to see is a dramatic decline in illnesses that are spread via fomite and, and droplet. And that has less to do, the mask could make some sort of difference in that regard, but it has much more to do with the fact that people have no idea what aerosol spread means and that you can have masks, you can have six feet distance, and that doesn't stop aerosol spread. Right. So, um, and, and, and there's more involved with that as well. So that is clearly, um, to me, that's the primary motive for that. And then the other part of it is the data that I was going, because just like John, I was going through data for the first year of the pandemic, and I saw this dramatic decline, and I used historical flu data to make my projections for what I thought the COVID waves were going to look like. And so, and I was incredibly accurate with that. So I have my own data that I've, that I've analyzed as well as my understanding of aerosol spread that tells me that that's far more likely to be responsible for the dramatic declines that we saw, especially because there was still testing going on. I myself was tested for flu on March 12th along with strep and several other different types of pneumonias and all those tests came back negative, but I had, um, well, those, those tests are obviously fake and gay. That's, that yeah, so they were fake and gay. but I also had chest tests. Great. <laughs> well, they gotta be them. gay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just, that's a special, uh, Kevin thing that he does. I know. It's like Josh and him. Um, but anyway, so yeah, just here in a few minutes, um, yeah, so just, just for the setup, what we're going to do is Charles will be going on to their stream. I don't think they'd want to share their Zoom call with me. I've been hazing them <laughs> on, on Twitter. Um, That's probably correct, yes. Um, but hopefully what they're going to do is stream it to Odyssey. And we'll just listen in. I guess myself and Lindsay, if we um, want to interject ourselves, we can. Yep, and actually actually, I'm going to go ahead and drop off so that way I can mm -hmm. I can join their Zoom call. Okay. All right, we'll see. Well, later. Yeah. Yep. I'll see you later. Okay. Um, let's see. So, uh, yeah, I'm interested in what your. Let's see if I can have a less obnoxious chat on your face. There we, there we go. Um, so, I'm interested in your uh, ICU experience. How long were you in the ICU during, and where was this? So, it's North Carolina. I was in critical care. So I worked in the ER before I became a nurse for nine years, but I was doing uh, like non-clinical stuff, like registration and stuff like that. Okay. Um, and then I went to nursing school at 30, uh, got my nursing license. So I graduated 2019. So when I got released in off of orientation, it was right as the pandemic hit. I was brand new, new grad nurse. Mm -hmm. So I was really straight to the ICU and um, that's how I started out. Um, so we're in a very rural like country area and our hospital is kind of small it's like maybe 
250 bed hospital, like 39 bed ER, not, not a big ICU whatsoever, but, uh, we were a ghost town. We were empty and actually being sent home, um, from shifts because there was no patient to take care of. There's more staff. That's when you saw a lot of the dancing. So they, they were saying that the hospitals were capacity, but not everywhere. It just depended on where you were and what they wanted to uh, show you, which hospitals that they, you know, New York and California and stuff. But uh, we were getting sent home, you know, and then um, whenever the shots rolled out, that's when we saw the chaos hit. And that's when we went into uh, war zone. So were there, what was the sort of patient turnover prior to that? Was the, um... so they were intubating super early in the ER. I mean, it, right as they were starting to desat in the eighties, they were intubating. Mm -hmm. They weren't starting steroids. They weren't starting what they were supposed to. They, um, but people actually, were desaturating, right? That's that's. They the, were desatting in the eighties. I would say it it was like eighty five percent, which is you know you're gonna look at that and be like you want their oxygen ninety ninety two percent or above just so you're getting perfused throughout but and that your kidneys are still perfusing too but with with this covid we didn't understand that you could you could hang out in the 80s for a good little bit and you weren't going to get hypoxic mm. because it was just the blood gas exchanging and and the you know the well, I, I, I think it was the the ability to suppress spinal reflex that people weren't yeah, that panicking too. right so you know if if your breath starts going you can get into a panic state real quick, right? Yeah, and, you can. And if for the, sure. if the signals aren't coming through, well, then you're gonna sit there and um, be equivalent sort of like. But they would poop out really quick, and instead of using like other oxygen modalities like BiPAP or high oxygen flow or any anything like that, they would straight just go straight, straight, to, straight to the ventilator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was you know, and, there, there was and some... it was. It was like venting patients longer. So seven days is usually your max because your lungs get lazy and dependent on the ventilator. Mm. And whenever you come off, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to breathe on your own because your lungs are used to not having to. So we were, we were ventilating patients greater than three weeks. So these people are going to be vent dependent and have trachs afterwards too, if they did come off the vent, mm -hmm. then they'd hit them with their remdesivir and, and then convalescent plasma right after that and then that's when probably about eight hours after that that's when you would see their kidneys uh function start to decline and so then you, you, you would saw see you that. saw that yep then you start to see them really desat and then we would see see the fluid build up in their lungs and stuff mm, too mm, mm, yeah um I, i'm it's like a chain of events just like a bad car wreck right after another and it's like y'all aren't seeing this you're not changing the protocol like mm. you're just gonna keep letting this roll mm. It's, it's, um, it's bad. I'm agnostic about the remdesivir because the um, the, to the toxicity studies are just not there. Well, they're there, but it's such we, we it, it's a nuclear tide. It's a cash cow. Well, yeah, that as well. I mean, there was a, there was very much uh, a series of awful perverse incentives in the U.S. and the um i i do think that that compounded the issues i mean look, the us mm -hmm. had terrible numbers relative to other countries but other countries still saw um the same waves somewhat japan i i 
stand by Japanese data just because it's generally it's a homogeneous population island, big population, and you know you could see the signals there. And now um, there's a very um, strong correlation with vaccine rollouts and the um, emergence of well, essentially a slew of um, different. And I was talking to this German clinician head of uh, cardiology department, and he was just saying, yeah, it's very, very heterogeneous how the people who, well, didn't succumb uh, left in a, um, a poor state, infected and vax treated. And his words to me was it was carnage on yeah. even now. And the... the my sort of reasoning has sort of got to the point where, yeah, it was, it seemed hyper controlled, not controlled is the wrong way. Um, malevolently, Chaotically controlled. Malevolently directed, I would say. Yeah. Directed um, evolution. Yeah. Well, that's a, there's <laughs> another one to throw in there, but um, I yeah. don't, I don't see the Goodman stream um, loading with a, a live stream. <laughs> That'll suck if they don't put it on live. Um, yeah, I, no. um, let's just see. I just oh, people are commenting on my accent. Yes, I'm a country bumpkin. <laughs> yeah, you know what it reminds me of? There's, a, I love the movie. It's uh, Cold Mountain, right? Have you seen that as movie? Long as not Brokeback Mountain. No, 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 not Brokeback <laughs> Mountain. But uh, <laughs> it's called Cold Mountain, and it's got that Australian um, actress. What's her name? Uh, Oh God, I, it, it'll come to me. She she actually does a, a quite convincing um, sort of Southern Belle accent in that movie. It's, it's it sounds very close. She must have been listening to tapes of you as she was getting um, the <laughs> the part ready. Uh, sure, get the live stream. Let me see if I can find that. Where is the Odyssey link? Um, I, I don't. I, I've got. Charles, give me the Odyssey link. I've got it up on my screen right now. Okay. Um, but I don't see a live stream coming through. And, you know, this is this is my concern about um, this Colin um, Goodman little axis. Uh, they've been in this game a long time, and they... Um, I don't know. It's a... I won't say it's a... Yeah, it is a business, I guess you could say. But um, they're they're shiftily dishonest in how they handle data. Um, yeah, this this is what I see, and you know this whole thing about I'm sort of pinning them about where's the sequence data, right? And they and they don't even understand what raw reads means with respect to getting a sample and submitting it, right? So basically you've got all the genome, the host and any um, bacteria, viruses, um, any that would be considered infectious, all of that is captured, right? And essentially what happens then is, okay, they do an identification. Is there, do they get a signal for coronaviruses? Okay, well, then you start sort of honing in and looking on that. But um, I'm of the opinion that like I say, the, the surveillance was in place. Avian influenza surveillance is active and has been active through the pandemic because we've seen them reporting avian influenzas. And um, 
I'm, I don't, the, him looking at the maps and saying it went away. And, um, what is that pinging me? A telegram. Um, okay, so let me, I, I still don't see anything. It should have started on the hour. I mean, look, I, I can be a bit, um, how should we say, uh, un... Scheduling is difficult trying to run live streams. I don't know what how complex their setup is. So if it doesn't start right now, um, I don't know. Um, we, we can just keep shooting the shit. Um, here's the web page if people want to go and look. Um, it's odyssey.com at crowdsource the truth. Yeah, it just still says starting soon. It's not up yet. Where do you see the starting soon? I don't even have that. Maybe maybe because I've got ghostry on. Um, Refresh. I've hit refresh. Sunday with Charles. Sex lies and video shoots. <laughs> what? That's what it says two days ago, right? Oh, I'm not sharing my screen. You can't see it, right? Sorry. No. <laughs> I don't know if I want to see your screen. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> it's it's not that um, it, it's not that uh, outrageous. But uh, do that. Nothing surprises me anymore. <laughs> there. Oh, all right, plan. So you know, there's bits of um, but I don't see the live. Okay, it's working now. It's working. You see it. You have a link. Yeah. It's live. yeah oh, you're looking. You're looking at me. Okay. Okay. Here it goes. Information today. We have new <clears throat> format, never before tried. Yeah, I I know they're going to be struggling to stream it out. Odyssey is shit. Is he saying to participate, consider buying a membership with a members only chat perk from this creator? No, I don't want your fucking chat. Um, but yeah, it's frozen. What the hell? Is it, is it working your end? If you. Let me look. Uh. Uncrowdsourced oh, I got it. truth. Yeah, we are honored to be joined by Rixie, and <laughs> he will be debating John Cullen today on a topic that crowdsourced the truth. Viewers have heard John speak about quite a bit the COVID 19 pandemic. Like Charles, welcome <laughs> to the show. Yeah, nice to meet you and good to be here. Yeah, and John, you're with us as well, indeed. And Thank you for setting this up. And Charles, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. I'm incredibly grateful. Um, for those of you who don't know, I started following Charles Rixey on uh, Twitter, I guess, maybe a year and a half ago. And Charles was posting some of the most interesting stuff about bioweapons and stuff like that. So I started following him. 
and I was posting all kinds of crazy stuff that it turns out, you know, we'll find out later I was wrong about some things. And, you know, Charles was calling me out, but in a professional way. And so we, we uh, I started following Charles, he started following me, and, you know, we, we kind of, you know, would butt heads from time to time, but again, always in kind of a professional friendly way or a funny way. And so eventually, Charles said, you know, well, why don't we get together and debate? So it's an incredible honor to have you here. I said to Jason before we did the show, I said, there's probably no one in the country that knows more about chemical, biological, nuclear weapons than Charles Rixey right now. So it, it's a real honor to have you here. So thank you very much. Thank you. And once again, um, I'm honored to be here and I enjoy... Um, I enjoy, um, I think these debates are important because um, what I've seen just over the course of the pandemic is that there's a lot of, um, every time there's a new um, idea or hypothesis about something, it, it tends to split up more and more of what we would call the, you know, the dissidents or the resistance against, you know, against big tech, the pandemic, all the crap that's been going on. And so I, I've watched this continue, this process continue to unfold where there's more and more division. So I, I do think that this is incredibly important because um, the debates, it's important for people to see the, the actual information and stuff from both sides of the debate. I, th I think that the public is intelligent enough when given the information that they can that they a, appreciate both sides more and, and it shows that that this is the way forward because um censorship or um shouting down the other side is not really the way forward so so i am grateful for this yeah yeah and i appreciate I you saying that very much charles i also want to just set the stage by letting everyone know that charles and i had a conversation yesterday, very nice conversation. Charles is an extremely professional, very pleasant guy. Nobody's here to troll anybody. Nobody is here to upset anybody. And as Charles just said, I also value this kind of a debate. I think that I'm here to troll these fuckers. They've been a um, spin-off of Spurg and uh, delusionary thinking for months, years, in fact. So I've got no mercy left. See? is a member of DRASTIC. It's a group of international scientists and researchers investigating the origin of SARS-CoV-2 and the COVID-19 pandemic. Charles previously served as a career CBRN. And Charles, can you help the lay people in the audience understand what a CBRN is? Yes, CBRN is a NATO term. It stands for Chemical, Biological, Radiological, Nuclear Defense. And so that's what that's what my job was in the Marine Corps. And as it says there, um, because of my technical credentials and, and I was selected to be an instructor and I became a warrant officer instructor and eventually a, uh, I was even the curriculum developer. I rewrote the curriculum for the USMC Seaburn School, which is co-located with the Army and other service schools at the Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri. And then uh, sandwiched between that was two tours, or sandwiched around that was two tours with the Department of State. So eight years in total as the uh, Seaburn chief for Marine, Marine Corps NBC Security Group, which is the command that has 2,000 Marines. We, we train, equip, and, um, and control 
all the 2,000 Marines that guard our, at the time, 188 embassies and consulates around the world. And so anytime that there was a, I, I was there for everything from Benghazi to um, Syria, chemical attacks, Erbil, um, a, a whole bunch of stuff all around the world. Wow. And, Where in the world were you physically located during the Benghazi attack? Well, I was always stationed at the headquarters in Quantico, though I did tr travel around to several different embassies over the course of time. And uh, I, and previous to all of that, I'd I'd served in Iraq. That was the f during my first my my first enlistment. That's that's where I was. So, um, but all through that time, I was a Seabird Marine, and then once again, I was I got to the point where I was an expert in the field and teaching the new officers and our. Our job in our, in our field as as senior leaders is to advise commanders on what to do um, and what to be prepared for, what could happen in in our area of operations whenever we're deployed. So yeah, yeah, and that's what you're referring to the OIF, that is Operation Iraqi Freedom, right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. So you're a dad. You're a historian. You're a marine. You're an expert in weapons of mass destruction. And uh, again, thank you for joining. The C here is that you're copywriting something, or does that stand for something? No, else? actually. So, um, and I don't know if this really counts. I know we had scheduled opening statements, but um, we'll do that. The, when with the C, what that is is that's, that means candidate because got it. I was I only had uh, four credit hours, so two classes left for my entire MBA when the lockdowns occurred. Oh wow! And, and because of the well, and actually, I got sick because we had a we had a trip as part of that program, and my particular group it was for a class of business in the European Union, and um, on the way back from that trip on March seventh, I uh, I had a layover from Prague in Madrid, Spain, and it was it was while I was there that that I picked up something, and by the ninth I was sick, so. What that meant is I, I never went back. I was the first person at the at the university, and well, the second person at, in my county of uh, somewhere near about a million people, Denton County, in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. I, I was the second person to even go for a test in all of Denton County. Wow! Now, so back then, back at that time, it was still very rare. And uh, so, I, but this was so COVID when, that you had. That's correct. And then by the time I. By the time, like, I mean, I was still, I was still sick. I was still pretty sick whenever the lockdowns happened. So they canceled the entire second half of the semester. Mm. And because I started working, because I started, and especially in the first year of the pandemic, so in 2020, I was doing a lot of data crunching as a non-data scientist um, with the John Ho Johns Hopkins data, very similar to what John Cohen as I, I don't know, I say the last name, you're John here, but similar to what John was doing, I was digging into the data as a complete uh, novice, but having some experience with modeling with ArcGIS for both in college and then uh, in the Marine Corps, we use um, some programs that run off ArcGIS. So I had some familiarity with, with doing this type of analysis, but um, so that's really where I got my interest in looking at this and it was during that period of time that I started looking into the origin as well. So hmm. I just want to alert 
your team that we've got somebody restreaming this video without my permission under a different name. And that is not appropriate. <laughs> but Fuck we'll you, deal with Goodman. that another time. <laughs> Unless there's anything else you'd uh, like to say, we can start with the, um, the opening statements. Just to clarify before we do that, John has selected the uh, Harvard debate format, and Charles has agreed to that format. So what that's going to be is, um, and let's consider what we've just been doing, my welcome. We're going to now have uh, opening statement, and um, we'll start with a pre-recorded opening statement from John, and then Charles, you can respond to that. And no, 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 gonna... no, 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 that's wrong. Oh, that's wrong. Sorry. So the opening statements are pretty much what Charles just gave was his opening oh, statement, got it. explaining his background, and me welcoming Charles to the show. Got and it. now Charles is going to explain his position, mm -hmm. and and then I will rebut for five minutes, and then I'll then my position will be the five minutes after that, and that's okay. that uh, five minute thing. Forgive so, me for misunderstanding. As I said, yeah, this is so, a new format for Crowdsource the Truth, and I'm wearing a suit, so everything is different today. But I like that. Fabulous. And you look great. Um, so, so based on what you're saying, John, we're going to now play your opening statement. Is that correct? No, no, no. My position is the five-minute video that comes after ah, Charles. I so see. my opening statement is welcoming Charles to the show, telling Got everybody it. how Charles and I met on Twitter. And uh, again, how grateful I am that someone with his credentials has you know come on the show. We've had Dr. Cyril Wecht on the show, right? Uh, I had the opportunity to meet with Steve Kirsch. We had uh, I had Dr. Scott Jensen on the show and uh, Dr. Dave Collum. So we've had a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life, and but never have we had anybody that has uh, Charles Rixey's credentials, right. uh, particularly in this world, right? And one of the things that I found kind of funny as we were getting ready to get together and do this is just sort of the perspective that Charles has uh, on sort of the science here, you know, very, very specific understanding of, you know, the spike proteins and um, all the stuff about the virus, about which I know nothing, right? I'm like a complete moron, just absolute fool when it comes to that stuff. I mean, I I would know Neurimidase if, if it was on my shoe, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what that was. But my perspective couldn't be more different, which is as a cartographer, I'm looking at a globe. I'm looking at a map of the world, and Charles is looking with the microscope. So you couldn't have two guys looking at this thing from you know, more different perspectives, quite frankly. And I find that fascinating. And so the question is, are there common observations here? So for example, over the course of what, the last four or six weeks, man, I mean, we went from uh, hypothesis A to hypothesis B to hypothesis C very quickly as new evidence showed up. So I'm not married to any given hypothesis. I'm, I'm always open to new evidence and new findings. And so what I'm hoping that we're able to do here is compare the findings that you know Charles has pulled together and the people he's been working with and the findings that I've pulled together and it's like you know if we held up two pieces of Swiss cheese and we held them up to the sun you know is that going to line up with Orion's belt and if so that would be pretty cool <laughs> so that's kind of what I'm hoping happens here so 
with that, Charles, I'm going to flip it back to you and uh, your opening five minutes. Before we do that, let me just apologize for my uh, uneasiness with the format. Again, we're following this very closely. Normally, John and I are just spitballing, and uh, the degree to which we want to handle this properly is the only thing that's giving me that uh, pause there. I also want to mention people who are not yet subscribed to Charles Rixey's Substack can do that by going to prometheusshrugged.substack.com. That's a great way to keep up with Charles' research, and he's got some funny memes on there as well. And so with that, Charles, the floor is yours. All right, so um, basically oh, there's a... One more thing. Just gonna, they're going to start the five-minute timer, so whenever you're ready, let me know, Charles. Uh, yes, so I'll go ahead and start. And so there's, um, there's four major arguments that, that I want to make here. Um, the first it deals with the disappearance of the flu, uh, my own perspective on why that occurred. Uh, two is the reasons why I believe that a Spanish flu variant wasn't spreading like alongside COVID-19 or in place of. Um, three, what a transmissible outbreak of highly pathogenic avian influenza in humans might look like. It's like, if that actually happened, what, what does it actually mean? And then uh, the fourth point is why I believe, what I believe is the answer to why they made a vaccine for only 41 cases. Uh, I, both John and I agree that the justification was absolute bullshit. Pardon my French. So firstly, uh, discussing the disappearance of the flu. Um, my argument has been that this centers around aerosol transmission. So all of our non-pharmaceutical interventions that were instituted by public health authorities around the globe were based around the flu-like, um, well, uh, countermeasures, I guess you could say. And this, this is different because the flu spreads via something called fomite and through droplet transmission. And what fomite means is that something either a surface or something that can move, um, such as a piece of paper, uh, gets contaminated, let's say with a kid's boogers, for instance, and then somebody comes along and then they touch that. And then respiratory droplets are simply big fat droplets that come out of your mouth when you sneeze or cough or even just breathe. And aerosol droplets also come out of your mouth whenever you're just in normal respiration or if through sneezing or coughing. But they're much, much smaller. And because they're smaller, they are light enough to float on the air. And it takes, instead of dropping to the ground within seconds under the force of gravity, they, will, they can stay suspended in the air for anywhere from three to up to 16 hours is what, is what the longest uh, time span that they've found whenever they did, um, well, now hundreds of studies looking at this. And so we know that that's really the biggest um, the, the biggest single point is that uh, it's my belief that the reason why we saw a global sudden decline in the data, which is which I also observed as well, is mostly tied to the fact that that these pharmaceutical inventions do work to limit the spread of a, of a flu-like illness. Now that is completely separate from saying that they were justified, which I'd, I don't believe that even if there was 
an influenza pandemic, that that anything like the lockdowns would be justified. Um, and and we can go into more uh, detail with that later. Um, and because of that, and because of the fact that there was still testing done in some places, um, in Europe, for instance, and in Australia, and myself when I was sick, uh, I don't, I, and because of also metagenomic sequencing, which we'll, I'll, I'll discuss more in depth later, I don't believe that there was a, a different flu-like variant because we would have um, figured that out. And then uh, just real quickly, for the transmissible uh, human pathogenic avian influenza, what that would look like, and once again, we'll, we'll kind of dig into this a little bit more in depth, but th there's, a, there's a delicate balance between um, transmissibility and virulence. So how, how One minute, sick Charles. a virus makes you. And because of that, and because of something called, um, oh gosh, I'm forgetting the word, um, um, it, because of immunity, immunization or immunity imprinting, um, whenever somebody gets sick for the first time, uh, typically at a young age with a pathogen, in this case with flu, they tend to be strongly protected against that in the future. And this, this is something that they've now seen and they can correlate with birth ages. And it was actually Michael Warobi that discovered this. And so because of that, when they fear-mongered about a flu, an avian influenza, what they're really doing is they're, they're suppressing their own data, which shows that it would not be as bad as they say that it would be. Because half the population whether it's H5N1 or H7N9, would already have some level of immunity to it. And then, well, actually, I'm, I'm basically out of time, but why they made a vaccine for only 41 cases is because, well, they knew it was coming because they saw by January 13th, they had seen the furin cleavage site. So even if they didn't release it themselves, they knew that it was incredibly likely to spread mm. and therefore justified for a vaccine. Okay. Now, so John, just to clarify, you want me to go to your recorded statement, or no? Don't no you we have the agenda in front of you. There's a rebuttal for five minutes. Okay, I just in my position. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. you should have it in front of you. You introduced this pre-recorded video five minutes ago, and I have no idea where it fits into that schedule. So that's just to make sure you had it, I just want to make sure you had it on your computer. Yeah, just okay. make sure you have it on your computer. Okay. So just All so right. I can um, start the timer again, John, you let me know when you're ready, and I will begin. Yeah. Uh, so I now will uh, rebut for five minutes, and you can go ahead and start the timer. But let me know when it's over, because I don't have yeah. a five-minute thing here. Okay. okay. All right. So um, first, I just want to sort of test my understanding. Um, so I don't want to put words in Charles's mouth. So... I want to kind of play it back a little bit. I made some notes. So Charles was saying, you know, let's talk about the disappearance of the flu. Um, you know, it's probably not Spanish flu. Um, what would it look like if there was an avian outbreak? And why did they do the vaccine for the 41 cases? So <clears throat> the 41 case, let's start with that. So w this was like a new development a couple weeks back when um, we realized that January 10th, we found out about the first person dying. Uh, but January 13th, the president signs a contract with Moderna. And so my proposition was that wasn't for COVID. There's only one guy dead on earth. And whether it's got a furin cleavage site or rabies wrapped up in 
encephalitis. Nobody, this one guy dead. And there's 41 patients. And at the same time, there's 4,000 people dying a week from influenza. So I wasn't quite buying Mike Pence's story or Ivanka's story. I think they were uh, either misled or uh, helping with the, with the cover-up. And then you talked a bit about the aerosol transmission and that that's probably sort of the reason is that, you know, the social distancing, the hand-washing, the masks, limited aerosol transmission. Um, the, the problem we have here is that this happened in 100 countries in 28 days. And it's hard to imagine that in Uruguay and Hungary, they were doing the same exact measure. So in other words, it disappears from Peru. It disappears from Romania, right? So that's the issue there is, I'm not saying scientifically this makes perfect sense, but <clears throat> when we pull the lens back and look at the map of the world, that it's like, really? It's like, that's what happened? That's how influenza disappeared in Hungary? was because they're really good at wearing masks. So again, I appreciate it, I respect it. It just doesn't seem to fit what I'm seeing on the map. And then we get into this whole avian thing and, and you use the word fear with avian influenza, yet the documentation the audience is about to see in my position shows that we just had the worst avian influenza outbreak in human history, both in the United States and Europe. So that doesn't sound like a fear campaign to me. That sounds like it actually just happened, according to the documentation. So that's my rebuttal. You can go ahead and play my position, Jason. Okay. Stand by. But this is going to exceed five minutes. This is... No, he's Why? saying... It's five he's... minutes. Why would it exceed five yeah, minutes? Okay, it's five minutes. rebuttal. He got didn't it, take the five minutes. Ah, got it. Like, okay. See, I haven't moderated that many debates. Thank you, gentlemen. Okay. So here we go. In March of 2020, I realized that Johns Hopkins was using the mapping system that my team led uh, the creation of back in the late 1980s when I was working at Oracle. And <clears throat> when I first saw the map, this is March 13th of 2020, I noticed that it was all red. And nothing was yellow, nothing was green. But since I never heard of Wuhan, I went and clicked on Shanghai and saw that there weren't 10 people dead there. I went and clicked on Hong Kong, and not 10 people there dead. And when I looked at the United States, this is March 13th, 2020, there weren't 10 people dead in New York, there weren't 10 dead in California, there weren't 10 dead in Florida. Shitty stream broke. Fuck Odyssey. And influenza deaths just to get a baseline of how many people die from respiratory illnesses. And what I found was, <clears throat> as of January 1st, 2020, more than 4,000 people were dying a week from PI, and it was getting worse. And this is long before COVID. COVID is the green, the blue is PI deaths. And so, with over 4,000 people dying every week, week one, week two, week three, week four, it's over 4,000. That seems significant to me. And when I pulled the lens back a couple months later, I realized, yeah, this is a pandemic. This is significant. This is a PI outbreak in the United States that claimed over 1.2 million 
million lives. And it sure looks like the reason that we overcounted the COVID deaths, right? We we're counting uh, George Floyd as a COVID death. And it looked like the reason to do that was to hide the blue pandemic. In other words, you couldn't hide the blue pandemic without the green pandemic, right? So you've got to count everything as a COVID death in order to hide what's actually happening with influenza. And when you go back 10 years, you go back to 2013, you see there was nothing like this. I mean, this is this was unprecedented. And when we look at the COVID deaths more closely, you say, well, how can they match? How do these two things match so closely? The blue and the, and the green, it's like, come on, that's crazy. How'd they do that? Well, half of the COVID deaths, almost like 48%, also had PNI, pneumonia and influenza. It's the number one comorbidity. So if the number one comorbidity is influenza, the green stuff is going to look a lot like the blue stuff. And when we count the PNI deaths over the years, what we see is, yeah, this is a significant outbreak. 2019-2020 season was record-breaking, and then the 2020-2021 season was also record-breaking. So those are just raw PNI deaths. In October 2020, I documented the disappearance of influenza from well over 100 countries. And I was basing it on a paper that a bunch of folks wrote about Australia, Chile, South Africa, and the United States. But I said, yeah, but Switzerland and Hungary and Ukraine and UAE and Turkey and the UK, everybody seems to have eliminated influenza. And it was well over 100 countries, so I couldn't understand how they miss all that. Um, pediatric influenza disappeared, and it seemed like maybe the strains that <clears throat> were affecting people weren't in the PCR test. At first, I thought it was 1918, uh, reconstructed pandemic influenza. Alas, no, probably Kawaoka. And the PNI deaths match up with the all-cause mortality. So the question is, could Dr. Fauci hide a pandemic behind another? Daszak was really worried about the outbreak of pneumonia, but nobody was dead. January 9th, January 8th, January 10th, we have the first death. January 14th, we still don't even know if it's contagious, but the president signed the contract with Moderna the day before. We found out from Dayu that H7N9 was in the patients in Wuhan, and the H7N9 outbreak is documented by the WHO. We have a solid timeline of that. And the timeline tells us that it uh, affects multiple organs, it doesn't need trypsin, and the outbreak is in the poultry in the United States, and it can affect your heart. And the test only came out this past Monday. Hmm. So that's the statement. And I believe I now have the format down. So Charles, you now have five minutes to... Yeah, that's Cohen's position. <clears throat> five minutes now, to rebut for Charles. Right, exactly. exactly. So Charles, yeah, whenever right. you're ready for <laughs> me to begin the timer, please just say so. Um, yep, and hopefully you can see my screen now. Yes. We ready? All right. So, um, so the first thing I'll say is, um, so yeah, fear mongering with, with the mapping and the way they were doing things. Um, we, we do need to uh, keep in mind that the Southern hemisphere, um, was in the opposite. Yeah. They were in summer at the time that uh, Northern hemisphere was in winter. And so the flu would not have been especially prevalent in the southern hemisphere, there's very there's typically very few cases even in the U.S. In fact, one of the reasons that COVID stood out is one of the graphics that I made was that there was more there was more COVID deaths or things attributed to COVID in the summer of 2020 during that four month non flu season stretch every year than in 101 previous years combined by a significant margin going all the way back to 1919, and so. 
it was clearly that something was not happening. Uh, something was happening during the summer of 2020 that was that was incredibly exponentially different than anything that was happening before. Um, one key thing to note, and I believe this was the very first thing that I ever interacted with John on, I uh, dealt with the uh, influenza versus um, ILI, because um, pneumonia and ILI, or influenza and PNI, like all the different variations that they use, when you throw pneumonia in there specifically, what that does is that creates a basket where that's all things that cause pneumonia. So that could be influenza, that could be COVID, that could be all bacterial forms of pneumonia, which actually that's generally what, what's happening is bacterial pneumonias. And so when I went to the CDC data to look at historic flu data, um, just as you can see here, um, this was 2010 uh, going all the way through 2022. And you can see that in 2019, there was, it was actually shaping up to be a pretty um, significant year. Uh, I would have estimated it would have been at least 45,000 by the time the flu season was done. But once again, my argument is that because of the lockdowns that stymied the overall uh, expansion. And so this is kind of a, a busy slide, but what this was was my projection of what was going to happen in 2020 that turned out to be incredibly accurate in terms of COVID deaths, like so weekly deaths is what this chart goes through. And I, we don't really have enough time to go through it in depth, but um, that's why I think it'd be, it'd be really good to do this again in the future, but so we can focus on these points. But what I did here was I looked at the previous decades worth of flu outbreaks and I looked at for each week of the year, what percentage of overall flu cases for the entire um, season had, so it was like a marker going from zero all the way to 100% of the total. And so you can see that it reaches the peak about the same time in January every year, but that peak can sometimes be as late as February or even, I think the latest one is the last week of February here. And um, COVID kind of, COVID kind of followed that pattern pretty well, but it it was already starting much earlier than a typical flu season was, because as we've already shown, it was going through um, a lot, um, even before uh, October of 2020. So prior to the winter wave, there was there was more ground seeded for a future um, outbreak to take place during the winter wave, which is why the winter wave is so much bigger. It was it was exponentially bigger, not exponentially, but several times bigger than a typical flu season, and we saw that in the terms of the deaths. Even if a large one minute, Charles. even if half of those deaths were actually attributed incorrectly to somewhere else, and uh, this is an example of the historical flu data that I that I went through, and it it just shows all the different strains per year, um, and then I one thing that I did was I pulled out the COVID deaths by age, by week. And we can see here that the age profile of, of COVID uh, follows very much the, for COVID deaths, very closely follows the profile for other respiratory illnesses. And by that, I mean that the elderly population tends to do much worse than, um, well, than everyone else. And then, um, so other than that, well, 
the last thing I'll say is that the H7N9 outbreak is, hold on, let me pause my clock. I know it just ended. Um, that uh, deals with chickens. Whenever H7N9 jumps over into humans, it it's very deadly, but it's not highly transmissible. And I think that's a very key point that needs to be made. It's very easy to fear monger with it because of the high death rate or the high case fatality rate, but it is not highly transmissible. Okay. And if you could, Charles, just uh, terminate yeah, the okay. screen share, that would, I think, yeah. be helpful. Okay. And so we should be ready now, John, for your rebuttal to that. Yes? No, I already, I know. So, so just general um, questions, yeah. Right. So now we go to participants question each other. Okay, and Charles, Charles gets this <laughs> you know, So here we go. I got a bone up on my it's just, debate it's just moderation. An agenda. I'm normally just, just, just an agenda. saying stuff. Okay. All right. So Charles gets to ask me a bunch of questions now for 10 minutes. Okay. So sorry. Let me just uh, get the 10 minute clock ready here. But I may need you to have my deck ready because in order to answer his questions, I may, I might need to jump to the deck, like you know, slide twenty six or something. So, fair enough. Have my deck. Whenever you're ready for me to start. You say deck or dick? Uh, deck, deck. Talking <laughs> about slide deck, but um, mm -hmm. this this odyssey is. Uh, sketchy i don't think that i think that adds confusion to it because it um well because you, that pni when you talk about pneumonia that could include COVID. that could include all no, influenza that mis could no, include no, no. all bacteria no, so, no i have to interrupt you with that because that that's misinformation no no I, that's why i'm asking that's why i'm asking you i, right, I want to know right. why you, you you see that point okay so the data that I'm pulling, when you see my blue charts and my yellow charts, so Jason, if you open up my deck and and um, let's go in that deck to slide number 11. So slide number 11 shows you specifically that I have the ability. No, it's the map of um, the next one. There you go. Yeah, that's it. So I have the ability to do PNI with COVID or PNI without COVID and explicitly leave out all deaths with COVID. And so that's how, when if we jump ahead, Jason, uh, go ahead like two, three slides where we see a blue and a green mountain overlaid on each other. L little more, one more, one more slide. Okay, now when you zoom into the valleys, what you'll see is that the influenza is actually exceeding all deaths with COVID, meaning it can't be double counted. In other words, if, if, if it was double counting, you could never have the PNI deaths exceed all deaths with COVID if it included all the COVID deaths. It, okay, so, it, it, right? well, well, so it's I'm, mathematically impossible. No, and the I'm other saying, thing, well, hang on. The other thing that we see here, so zoom in, Jason, on the end portion of the last six months, nine months. It's actually been a year, it's been almost two years. So the last time all deaths with COVID exceeded PNI deaths, was March of 2022, according to the CDC. Next question. Okay, so if I, um, when I say the, so if you, after, I'm saying that after you remove COVID. That to, gives us just the blue chart, Jason. Just the blue chart, correct. Jason. So after you remove the COVID, 
you still have to remove the influenza. So the data that I'm using was only influenza. It was not pneumonia, specifically because, let's say... So what's causing these pneumonia deaths then if I just removed all the COVID deaths? Well, so the 85, let's say you move COVID and you remove influenza. All the rest of those are everything else that causes pneumonia. So that's that's why... So what just caused those peaks? Well, so that, but that's why I rem, that's why I only looked at influenza death specifically because if you look at P and I, so you're suggesting this is RSV or Coxsackie? What are you suggesting it would well, be I'm, if it's not I'm, influenza? It's it's all bacterial pneumonias. It's RSV. It's right. literally anything else that can. Why is it so big? Trigger. Why is it so big compared to the previous years? Jason, go to slide number seventeen. Because we know that the number one comorbidity with 530,000 death certificates say P&I. It says influenza and pneumonia. That's correct. Right. No, how, no, many say RSV? how many say RSV? How many say Coxsackie? Well, well, and this is where I agree that they inflated. They infl- Well, they conflated a lot of things, and inf- right. conflation and inflation. Right. They, they, they put a lot of things that weren't COVID or pneumonia at all and called them COVID. All right, so the thing that you shared with the audience a moment ago that you called influenza and you showed the deaths by year, the source of that was Statista. And that means that some 26-year-old chick probably put that together, and I don't know what her source is. Well, that Let me finish. The challenge here is that the numbers that you're citing are something called influenza burden. And influenza burden is a derived value. It's not a real number. It's a factor, and I went over this with Dr. Dave Collum. He, about, he just about fell out of his chair, and he said, so wait a second. So that's why when I shared that chart with you guys um, in my uh, overview, my five-minute thing, I showed a chart that showed the P&I deaths year in, year out, and Jason, you can find that on slide number 20. It's closer to 200,000 a year, Charles. So that's the P&I number. So the P&I number is closer to 200,000 a year. And then in the 2019-2020 season, it went to 275, and then it went to 430,000. So the question is, if the number one comorbidity is influenza pneumonia, and these are your P&I deaths, that chart you just showed the audience, that, that's a nonsense number, that's made up, that's influenza burden. And if the audience right now is unclear on what that is, I've posted the interview I did with Dave Collum, Dr. Dave Collum from Cornell, where we go through influenza burden and the definition, and he is—he's blown away. He can't believe it. He's like, "This is this is this is nonsense. This is a fudge factor." He called it. So those numbers you shared—that's not the PNI deaths. In fact, that was not the influenza deaths in 2017-2018 season that Dr. Fauci says is incredibly bad. Fifteen thousand people died from influenza. Your chart said fifty something thousand. The actual influenza deaths were 15,000. The pneumonia deaths were 185,000. Together was over 190,000 that season, and that was a bad season. But none of the numbers were 50-something thousand. That's influenza burden. That's a derived value that has to do with hospitalizations and what have you. Okay, so the so the first little chart that I showed you was from Statista, but that's not where I derived my numbers from. My numbers come from CDC influenza deaths. And once again, uh, the burden says the burden of flu. See, it says the burden of flu. That's correct. That's yeah. But that's not the the burden of flu is influenza burden. And Jason, if you want, you can pull up the video. I've got a two minute video that explains influenza burden in two minutes. Well, that's not the influenza. So I, I went through the CDC's own influenza deaths 
One no, of the, have, no, 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 Charles, no, don't crop it. Charles, Charles, do not crop Hang the, on. the screen. Hold on. That's don't me. crop That's the screen, me. Don't Charles. yell at him. Hang on. That's me running the screen. He's not doing right, anything. The burden of flu, the burden of flu is influenza burden. I'm telling you, you're being <laughs> deceived. I'm telling you how you're being deceived. And if you'd like to see it, okay. I have a two-minute video to show it to Let's, you. Okay, calm down, John. Stop a second. That two-minute video, we're going to show it. And we'll okay. then be able can, to can, discuss. Can I point out something? Yes. That, that the, the Statista information came from what he just said. So the 20, I know, Charles. Everybody's been fooled. Everybody on the planet's been fooled, Charles. Nobody knows this. Let me make my mistake. So the 2021-2022 flu season, the same number that was listed right there, which is 5,000 flu deaths, is the same as the number of influenza deaths in the United States. So that is coming from that. I only use that because I just wanted to search it because the, I didn't have a bar graph for, for my old data. The, the screen that I showed you that had the projection that showed the decades, the 10, or the 10 years worth of weekly flu deaths that's what's important here because once again you if we're talking about the flu we have to separate that out we're not from, we're not i'm not that, i'm not so that's a mistake have, i'm not talking about flu i'm talking about pni i well, talk, you, i measure pni it's all i've ever talked about and you then and you only talk about flu then you have to say influenza deaths because no we, but charles we, that's we, not what i ever talk about moment. you're changing the, you're changing the rules Charles, that, that you're changing incorrect. the rules. I track PNI. Everything I talk about is PNI. It's pneumonia and influenza. That's how the CDC tracks right, it. Pneumonia is you're not citing, the same thing. Charles, you're citing influenza burden. Let You've me do been this. Fooled. Hang on. You've been Where conned. is this two-minute video about influenza burden? Is that in what you sent me, or is that on YouTube? No, that's on. Uh, you just go to Twitter at I am John Cohen and the two words influenza burden and you'll see me and Dave Collum discuss it in two minutes. Okay. Uh, is that okay with you, Charles? We'll watch this video. Yes. It's the official document. It, it's, you know, how do we define influenza burden? And I go over with Dr. Dave Collum. This is the professor of organic chemistry okay. at Cornell University. John, is this it? Dr. Dave Collum. That's it. Okay. Let's watch this. Uh, sorry, I've got it muted. Let me unmute the site. When they're telling right. so when they're telling you twenty two thousand is the burden of flu, what is that? Let's go to the next slide. The next slide is from the paper that defines influenza burden. Take a so look. So is that equation? Is that that equation? It, yeah. Don't you love that? Reported deaths divided by reported hospitalizations, deaths per hospitalization, uh, times one over the percent of deaths that occur in the hospital. Isn't that cute? This is what I call professional obfuscation. This is Jesus. When, this is when you Jesus. pay. <laughs> this is when you pay eight or ten people to come up with a new factor so that nobody can figure out what the hell you're doing. We Look call that a pyramids. fudge factor where I come Look from. Look at the pyramids. How do you have a formula that requires geometry to follow the logic here? 
You see the pyramids in the, in the middle here? We, we, they've got a mm-hmm. whole logic tree here. I challenge anybody from the CDC to take the data that we just pulled from FluView and show us how they calculated the 22,000. But you can take that equation and turn it absurd without looking at the pyramid. And that is, if you take reported deaths over percent of deaths that occur in hospitalization, you essentially end up with a ratio that tells you um, deaths outside the hospital and inside. Yeah. Right? And and then divide that by hospitalizations. That, that leads to nonsense, I think. I think that I, leads to I, complete nonsense. So I do a series on my YouTube channel where I read documents like this. I call bedtime stories because they're ridiculous I, and they're boring. And you're, read, you have a thing. twisted personality. <laughs> he certainly had your number. <laughs> oh, yeah. So... Once you read the detail and you're like, what, 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 what is this? You guys have been pulling this con since the 2009 uh, avian, whatever the hell that was, swine flu. That was a swine flu 2009. So they've been pulling this stunt since then. So this document was put together. It's some crazy formula and it defines influenza burden, but that's not how many people died of the flu. It's a made up number. It's dividing hospitalizations by bedpans. It's well, not meaningful. So I would that that's why I use PNI. That's why I use PNI. So I just say, you know what? Right. But I don't I have no time for your nonsense. Thing. I'm going straight to the PNI number. That's what I'm going to use. And if I got 400,000 people dying from PNI and there's no COVID in there, it's not RSV and it's not Coxsackie. Okay. And that's if the number pneumonia. one uh, comorbidity is influenza and pneumonia, it's probably influenza. Okay. So, um, I agree with you. I think the influenza burden number is absolutely ridiculous. But the influenza influenza numbers (laughs) that I'm referring to don't come from the influenza burden number. And that's why why the other number that I showed you, hold on, that's why the other things that I showed you showed, it showed the per year, it showed which strain was, was that per year. And this I'm not interested in the strains. I'm interested in total deaths per year. Because they I'm not interested in the strain. The Don't change the subject. Total deaths per year. Not interested in the strains. I could care less. Strains How are relevant. Resolve in order, this but in dispute, order to John, know, hang on, hang on, both in order guys. to know, so, so to be able to say that it Charles, was this particular strain, they needed to, to actually have tested the specific strain. So, so hang on. Where's the disconnect here? How do we find the disconnect rather than one person saying yes, the other person saying no? So Charles, you've got your numbers. Where did this number of, what, what is the number of deaths you're citing? Well, so for instance, um, and once again, I'm looking at my- Do you want to share that? I went, screen? Uh, well, yeah, I can show it. i share it, hold on. Just to clarify this point of contention here. Okay. Okay. So now, so yes. So as you can see from here, this is this was the major flu subtypes, and it it goes, and it so these people died of the flu. This shows nineteen seventy six to seventy seven. So this is not died of this is not died of pneumonia and could be flu. This is only died of the flu. So the reason why the flu flu only makes up a small fraction of the overall PNI deaths that occur every year. And so when you when you continually when you don't pull the influenza numbers out of that, then 
you're mixing in all this other pneumonia stuff that goes with it that isn't caused by the flu. So I don't use influenza burden either. That's not what I'm doing. Well, so you cited it in your statista. So the statista numbers that you shared, that was influenza burden. You didn't this know is, it. This is not influenza burden. <clears throat> no, I understand that. This is not. This is not. But the statista chart that you shared before this was. Okay. Well, I, I literally just pulled that for like an example. But once again, when I did my projections, right. I got it from the same place where I got this historical flu information. And where and was this that? ends in 2007. This, this historical data. All right. But the historical data you're sharing with us here ends in 2007. So it's not really right. that helpful and meaningful to us. Well, I, I, this, this was shown because uh, this also, be, because it breaks it down by what subtype was important, uh, yeah. or was dominant during each year. Right. And, and it actually goes deeper than this because you can break it down by so year. So you're supposed to be asking me questions. So these are your questions to me, right? So you're asking me questions for 10 minutes. Well, we were way uh, off the 10 minutes. Well, right I'm trying to answer. Okay. I'm trying to show he's, he's got to respond to done. what you just said. Okay. Which is to say are that I'm ready? not using influenza burden either. Okay. But, but John are, has just said that not. this stuff is from 2007. Right. Is that correct, Charles? Well, that's the bottom line. Look at the that's bottom. That's from this. The bottom edge was 2006, the same, 2007. The same, the same source of that data was also where I got the influenza or death weekly death numbers from going from 2012 to 2013 all through the next 10 um week but, to the next 10 seasons okay. for me to right, just so ask a question done, for the lay people if, if i may interject yeah charles please explain to me if we're looking at information from 2012 or 13 or even 17 how is this relevant to what happened from 2019 to now well because let's say let's say we look at so that from 2019 the 20 flu season, so from October to May, flu deaths that are listed were 41,098. So this does show that is not, information that is not from 2019 or no? Yes. It does or doesn't show 2019 it does. information? It does. It, it so does. John, why were you saying it, it's from 2007 or something? That, that was, he was talking about the previous okay. set of yeah, I was talking about the previous slide. There's a different because slide. The previous, the previous slide deals with um the strains and and i i had to combine okay so but that, if that's that 2007 let's yeah. let's forget about it and if that's not the focus so what we've got here charles you're saying is just pure flu and you've gotten these numbers that are relevant to that's very small for people to see but Sorry, you're saying uh, that pure flu death in 2019 okay there we go aha 2019 to 2020 we've got it this is weekly flu deaths and then combined at the, at the end of the year by flu season. And so in that flu season, these are just influenza deaths. So this is not influenza burden. This is and not. And what's the source of these numbers? This comes directly from the CDC. And this is why I don't use influenza burden and I don't use PNI because I, at the time, I only wanted to know what influenza, what the patterns were mm -hmm. week to week because I was trying to so make projections. So what is projections. this showing us? So what do we see here? What is this telling me? Well, and, and if you're in this particular question that I'm answering, we're just, I'm just trying to state that I do not use influenza burden data. Okay. I do not use PNI data. I use influenza deaths only. Okay. Because you don't, because that otherwise you mix, when you have PNI, 
then you get confounded by the pneumonias that aren't related to the flu, that aren't related to COVID, that are but are part of the seasonal variation and and that there's they're part good. of the milieu okay. in which so, people so always die. That's good. Okay, so now we got to figure out what was the 400,000 deaths caused by pneumonia. Right? So if it wasn't influenza, what was it? So Jason, are we done with Charles asking me questions for 10 minutes? Now uh, I get to ask Charles questions for 10 minutes. I guess we're way beyond 10 minutes, but yeah, sure, we can do that. No, that's fine, go ahead. Okay, so let's jump ahead, uh, Jason, in my deck to slide number 44, which is the slide that has the yellow and the, and the green stuff on it. So I think Dayu works with you in the drastic group, but I could be wrong. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But this is a report that we got that said that the first patients in Wuhan had H7N9 in their tests. And if you go forward to the next slide, Jason, they had 8% influenza, 2% (laughs) SARS-CoV-2. And I found that odd. And if you jump ahead two more slides, Jason, the WHO documented the H789N9 outbreak in China. You can go to the next slide. I mean, this this isn't a theory. Um, the deadly bird flu in China has evolved and is spreading to new regions. That's on the next slide. So again, this is not a, a theory that I've come up with. This is something that's actually happened. It's documented and I'm citing the documentation. And on the next slide, what we see is that this particular virus, it says highly I... pathogenic H7 and 9 reemerged in 2019. So that's also not a theory. Jump ahead to the next slide where it says that the H7 virus infections can cause disease that affect multiple internal organs. So that's consistent with what we've been seeing. And then on the next slide, we find out that this H7N9 also doesn't need trypsin. So that means it can infect your heart, your meninges, whatever. And on the next slide, the United States Dairy Association is telling us there's highly pathogenic avian influenza in your chickens, in the flock, in the commercial flock, right? So this is not, uh, you know, this isn't a theory. If you jump ahead a couple more slides, Jason, you'll see gain of function experiments on H7 and 9 with a red circle that points out that it, there you go, it's BSL-4. So the H7 and 9 we're talking about here is a BSL-4 pathogen. And if you go to the next slide there, the Chinese confirmed it's in the poultry, it's in the chicken. This is not a theory. This isn't the war game. This happened. This, this is Operation Crimson Contagion. Operation Crimson Contagion said there's an outbreak of H7N9 in China. It's in the poultry. So if, in other words, questioning that this happened, it happened. We just had the worst avian influenza epidemic in human history. The strain was H7N9. The number one comorbidity is influenza. And influenza appears to have disappeared from the earth because we don't test for H7N9. We pulled those test kits back in January 2020, and the test kit for it just came out on Monday, January 15th of this year, 2024. We just re-released the new H7N9 test kit, but you can only order it from the CDC. You can't get it from BioFire. You can't get it from Eplex. So when you talk about avian influenza and using it for fear, 
Well, everything I'm looking at says we just had the worst avian influenza outbreak in the history of mankind. So how how is that a fear campaign? Well, this is why the this is why it's important to differentiate between um, pathogenicity and virulence and transmissibility because those are three very different things and they have different meanings. And the biggest difference between H seven and nine and other forms of influenza is that H7 and 9 is not highly transmissible between humans. So when you see H7 and 9 cases... When you say it, it isn't, you, are you talking about the gain-of-function version that Kawaoka put together, or are you talking about the natural version? Well, what Kawaoka, Kawaoka has worked with several different strains. He's worked with 1918. He's worked with, um, he's worked with H5N1. No, I'm talking and, about H7 and 9. The H7 and 9 work that Correct, Kawaoka and he's also did. worked with H7 and 9. But that doesn't mean, once again, the people that are getting sick with H7 and 9, yeah. are they're getting sick with it because it's they're getting it from chickens, not because they're getting it from other people. There has been limited transmission. Okay. So it's in the food it's, supply. That sounds like a big, pretty big problem. It's it in is the in chickens. the food supply, and that's why, they, that's why they slaughter millions and millions of chickens. Because So did you address this? Afraid. Did you and the drastic guys talk about how all the chicken coops are on fire because there's H7 and 9 in the food supply and it's killing people? We've, ab we've, absolutely, talk talked, we've absolutely talked about H7 and 9. In fact, it was drastic um, scientists along with uh, uh, Stephen Quay, Dr. Stephen Quay, right. who, um, who have published a couple of papers because they found in metagenomic sequencing, they found um, se sequences from H7 and 9 flu inside of samples. Well, I showed that. That's the yellow, that's the yellow and green, Jason. That's the yellow and green slide. So we, right, so that was part of my presentation was that we found H7 and 9 in the first patients in Wuhan. And that's when I first heard from Stephen Clay. Yes. And uh, who's the lady from India? Shit. She has an Indian name. She works with him. Um, uh -huh. Well, Mahali. she's just another member of our team, uh, Mona Rahalkar. Yeah. Mona. Okay, so she wrote to me and she said, oh my God, you must have read our paper. And I said, no, I didn't read your paper. I just saw the work from Dayu. Um, and, and Dayu sent this thing, go, go one up, Jason. It's the yellow and green one. And what, what is it? It says that the H7 and nine is green. So all the green lines, that's H7 and nine. And the COVID stuff is the yellow and the, the brown is like a different influenza. Now, my understanding from talking to her was that <clears throat> what they found was just the spike protein. They didn't find the whole thing. And so I said to her, well, that sounds to me like this person was vaccinated for H7 and 9. So we know the Chinese had the outbreak. It starts in 2013. It goes highly pathogenic in the 2017-2019 timeframe. They develop a vaccine for it. And we have crimson contagion that begins in January 2019. It runs for eight months. And it's for H7 and they 9. Gave out the flu shots so then although too. you're telling me that it's not that virulent and it's, it's you know, the spread versus the virulence and whatever, <laughs> well, then you're the telling me that they wasted their out. time because they were modeling a virus that never could be a threat. And yet I've got a video from Bob, uh, from uh, Dr. Redfield, telling us that the next big pandemic, he says COVID was nothing compared to the next avian influenza outbreak. That is what he said, yes. Right, no, so I, that I to me sounds that. like H7. Okay, so but, you disagree with the head of, of the CDC, but he did say it. So so whether you disagree with greatly him disagree. or not, he said this. He said, he and Jason, you want to play that video? Do you mind? Do you mind no, that? No, I don't mind. Charles, you okay with that? Go ahead. 
be able to reprogram that uh, redundancy for a pandemic disease. So again, the United States is not prepared. We're not prepared. I, people know that I believe the great pandemic is coming. Uh, it's not COVID. I call, I call that the lesser pandemic. The great pandemic is coming. It's going to be a bird flu pandemic. pandemic. It's going to be rough. Right. Uh, we're going to see some significant <laughs> mortality around the world, right, including the United States. It's not going to distinguish between different people who's going to have a bad outcome. Like COVID had a bad outcome for those of us that are over 60, 70, 80. Uh, the bird flu, when it comes, it's going to have a, a bad outcome for children, for adolescents, for people in their, in their 20s, and their 30s, 40s, 50s. It's going to be problematic. The good news is we have the mRNA technology, so we'll be able to make a vaccine pretty quickly. The bad news is we'll never be able to make enough <laughs> Sorry, vaccine for 350 million people yeah. quick enough because we haven't built the redundancy in being able to convert that science to products for the American public. And the bad news is we still haven't built the redundancy for diagnostics. Uh, yeah, a lot of to answer your question, a lot of science to make the scientific ability to make unique novel diagnostics and get them done is 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 really here you know and 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 but the reality is the op how to operationalize that in real time those systems aren't there i call on the united states just like we've done for the defense department we have long-term <laughs> he said private yes, public DOD, partnerships with boeing and northrop ibm and others that again, going back to my my point of view, that the risk for pandemics is far greater than the risk of North Korea or the risk of Iran or the risk of Russia and the risk of China to change our way of life. And if we we got a little taste of it with COVID, but we haven't gotten anything compared to what, and we should be over investing in our ability to rapidly respond to minimize the ability of that. Uh, threat on our way of life to having an impact. And sadly, to this day, we're not over-investing in it. John, just playing devil's advocate for people who will be skeptical of Redfield, isn't he just promoting more vaccines right there? Yeah. Yeah, but again, you have to be discerning. You se separate the wheat from the chaff. What, what did he say? He said COVID is a warm-up. If you want to talk about a bad pandemic, it's going to be an avian influenza. So forget the vaccine crap. I mean, of course he's going to say that. They all say that, right? So you yes. have to be able to separate the wheat from the chaff. So closing statements, Charles, to you first for the wrap-up, and then we've got some parting gifts for you. Okay, that was so, supposed to be five or ten minutes, the closing statement? Five minutes. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I should be... Reminds me of Howard Stern. I mean, He's giving would, me creepy you, know, you look at NBC, Happy they've got a whole uh, technical yeah, staff there. Right. But uh, if you are ready, Charles, the floor yep. is yours. Okay, so uh, once again, when they say highly pathogenic, pathogenic means basically the ability of a pathogen to cause disease. And highly pathogenic means it's highly capable of causing disease. And, and what what they're referring to here is highly pathogenic avian influenza, which means it's highly able to infect and or cause disease in, uh, in birds. Now, path, or I'm sorry, virulence deals with the severity of the disease, which has more to do with the impact. So let's say if it got into a human, um, if it's highly virulent, that means it's highly likely to cause severe disease. But both of those things are separate from transmissibility. And the one thing, 
So when Robert Redfield talks about, okay, well, we will, we're concerned because um, what they're really concerned about is if a bird flu transfers, jumps to humans, but also acquires the ability to jump between humans. That's really the factor that's most important here. And none of those have happened yet. And if they did, it would be immediately recognizable simply because you would have a an incredibly high case fatality rate. Now, the fact that we didn't see uh, this mass excess death in that way in 2020 is evidence that that's not what has occurred. And the second half of that is when you have, well, so one other thing that I'll say is that metagenomic sequencing, of which there's been millions of samples taken, metagenomic sequencing would have been able to pick up this H7 and 9. Why? Because you can go back now and take sequences of H7 and 9 and go back into the databases and look inside of these these environmental, well, they say, I'll say environmental samples, but just samples taken from people. And you can see, in addition to the SARS-CoV-2 that exists within them, you can also see in these metagenomic samples anything else that exists within the milieu that that person might be infected with or just have crawling around in there. But there doesn't have to, just because you might find H7 and 9 bits and pieces in a sample doesn't mean that H7 and 9 was causing an infection of H7 and 9 inside that. You would expect to see H7 and 9, for example, inside of samples taken from um, people who are selling chickens in a wet market, for example. So that's not a... Uh, that's not a that, that's not a direct correlation between them. In fact, when they, when when it was found by Dao Yu and others, and they wrote papers about it, they were more focused on finding it within samples and what they believe was contaminated samples because of all these different pathogens that were floating around inside the the Wuhan Institute of Virology labs. And so, because of that contamination we were able to see other pathogens that they were working on. So in some cases, you might see it in samples from human beings, but in other cases, you're seeing it in from in like environmental samples that didn't come from humans, but that, but did show up in the sequencing from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. But once again, in all of those yeah. cases, if we had seen the emergence of a highly transmissible and thus lots of humans were getting H7 and 9, it would be impossible to miss whenever we were looking through all the data. It would be, it would be stark, and we it would be impossible for it not to go noticed. But then the last thing that I'll say to that is that because it hasn't gone over the transmissibility barrier, that even if it did, the dynamics of epidemiology, one of the dictums that is pretty well known, is that as a pathogen becomes more transmissible, its lethality decreases. And Ebola is a great example. Ebola is highly lethal, between 30 to 50%, depending on the strain. And it is um, highly transmissible, but it's so lethal that you become so sick, you're non-ambulatory, and you're not going to be passing it around to very many people. In fact, the majority of cases of Ebola came from hospitals or from handling the remains of the people who had already died, not from, not even from direct transmission. So the lethality but you die so quickly affects the R value. Let him finish. Let him finish. That you you can't 
get a pathogen a pathogen to keep spreading and continue spreading all around the world. It's just that's why it's they're so easy, well, relatively easy to quarantine for Ebola. And highly pathogenic influenza would be the same way with some other variables. Thank you, Charles. John. Okay. Um, so in closing, you know, I, I think one of the mistakes that the team may have made is assuming that the influenza that was found in the first patients in Wuhan was some sort of contamination, particularly since we've got 2% COVID and 8% influenza. So to me, that doesn't indicate uh, a contamination. It, it, In fact, it looks like the SARS-CoV-2 might be the contamination. So fundamentally, I think what we're looking at here. Um, is an H7N9 outbreak in China that's well-documented by the CDC and the WHO, starts in 2013, doesn't go highly virulent, highly, or excuse me, highly pathogenic until 2017 to 2019, well-documented, it's in the poultry. At the same time, we're doing Operation Crimson Contagion, an H7N9 outbreak in China, and it lasts eight months during that time, we sign a contract with Pfizer. In fact, the contract with Pfizer that we signed for mRNA influenza vaccines was done in 2018. What the hell were we doing mRNA vaccines with Pfizer in 2018 for unless it was something really deadly that was out there? We then signed a contract with that, Moderna, really? the materials transfer agreement uh, amendment that uh, Glenn Beck was talking about. That doesn't even mention COVID or SARS-CoV-2. Yet we do a contract with Moderna on January 13th. And on January 13th, there's one person dead on earth from COVID. We don't yet know if it's, if it's contagious. So I <clears throat> propose that that contract was not for COVID. It was not for SARS-CoV-2 with Moderna. That was for the influenza outbreak that was killing 4,000 people a week. We saw that 4,000 people a week dying from PNI. I don't think it's Coxsackie. I don't think it's RSV. I think it's PNI, it's influenza and pneumonia, and we know that because it's well-documented. That outbreak is well-documented, and then it disappears, and the reason it disappears is simple. The WHO doesn't track it, and we don't have tests for it, so of course you're not going to find it. H7 and 9 is not in the test kit. It's not in BioFire. No one realizes that their patients are infected with this particular strain because the PCR test doesn't have the strain in there. So it comes back as negative for influenza. It's that simple. And since the WHO doesn't track it, it looks like it disappeared, but it's the number one comorbidity. And we know that from the coroners. This has been the biggest cover-up <clears throat> since 1963, potentially other than maybe the field hospitals, but that was only 50 days. Once the field hospital gambit was over and the 50 days were up, what rocks, what asteroids? Nobody remembers a damn thing. Here we got 7 million people dead because Kawaoka did gain a function on H7N9 with Fauci's money in 2014. That virus appears to have gotten out. That's disease X. And you can treat it with Alinea, which is nitaz oxanide, or Zofluza. Either Zofluza or Alinea treat. Not medical advice. No, ask your doctor which one of those would be best for you. But we know Tamiflu, Oseltamivir, is not effective. We know that for a fact. So talk to your doctor if you're afraid you're really sick. Ask about Alinea. Ask about Zofluza to treat H7N9 what I believe to be disease X. And again, Charles, I cannot thank you enough for coming on. You are a gentleman and a scholar, the likes of which I don't think I've ever met. 
So I am incredibly grateful to you. Thank you. And Jason, please make sure that we either send Charles uh, uh, one of the uh, the hoodie shirts that we've got on the I am John Cullen store on Teespring. We've got uh, this changes everything or we yeah, won't if you stop, want a shirt, or if you want to get a Crimson shirt. Contagion hoodie. If you want one of those, that's fun to wear around the Georgia. I don't think I even knew that you had this. Um, that's good. Oh, yeah. the, uh, Chris, much. We'll send a couple images with samples yeah. to, to uh, Charles, and I'll we'll get him either Crimson Contagion or This Changes Everything or something like that. Charles, Great. you are a gentleman. Thank you so much. Jason, do you want to say a couple parting words? Uh, we do have some questions from our viewing audience. I want to just remind everybody that today's program was presented live on uh, odyssey.com slash at crowdsource the truth and um, also on uh, Substack and Subscribestar and Patreon for I mean, we got yeah, we got also one. live on Rumble. Uh, we've got a question from a viewer here on Odyssey. Uh, people want to know, Charles, did you work with Major Ritter when you Ooh. were in the Marines? I'm sorry, with who? Major Ritter. Uh, Scott Is that Scott Ritter? Ritter? Are you talking no. about? Good question. No, you didn't I, work with I believe he was already out of the Marine Corps whenever I joined. I joined in 2004. He was also doing something with weapons of mass destruction, wasn't he? Yes, he was, he was a member of the inspector team. Um, Prior to the Iraq War, I don't I don't even know if he was still in active duty then. Um, I think he was a captain at the time, but he he was an intelligence officer. Uh, no, I never I never ran into him. Mm -hmm. People are also asking. I don't know if you guys know the answer to this question. Will the patent of COVID holders be held responsible? I think that they've been given indemnity. That's more of a question for a lawyer. I don't know if these guys can make a prediction like that. Here's another question from Dawnie Girl. She wants to know which tests should we be asking our labs and doctors to be testing for if we have flu-like symptoms? Charles, what do you think? Well, don't. Uh, from what is known about A7 and 9, Treat it. it is by being highly pathogenic and highly virulent, um, if you get it uh, in the limited number of, I think it's like a thousand-ish uh, deaths over the course of time that have been attributed to it, um, it's it's incredibly virulent, which means you're very likely to have very severe symptoms. And so if you do get it, then um, there are antivirals that have been made that have shown some efficacy in that. But uh, because of something called immune imprinting, um, if there's, I, I forget which one it is, um, whether it's, because for H5N1 and H7N9, they're, they're kind of have like corresponding um, similarities enough that if you have had H1N1 as the very first flu that you ever had, or if you've had one of the H3N2s or, or like an H2 strain, depending on the strain that you first had when you were a young child, for the rest of your life, you'll have significantly increased immunity to one of those two, H5N1 or H7N9. It's it's about a 50-50 split. And there's uh, Michael Warobi has written papers on this. But because of that, uh, if there was ever a large outbreak of of highly pathogenic avian influenza that was became highly transmissible in humans, those numbers of, of 40 or 50% mortality would drastically reduce because you, you would have 
because there is natural population immunity to it. And so the best thing, if that ever actually happened, the best thing you could do is get tested to, because there's tests that they can do on a large scale to figure out which strains you are most immune, or which strains you've had in the past, which determines your risk for mm-hmm. one of those two strains in the future. And once again, this is a important piece of information that the government doesn't tell you and that mm. Fauci didn't. Is that a so let me just ask a quick question there. Let me just ask a quick question. Charles, is that a I'm titer sorry? test? A titer? Is that what that is? When you, you get tested for your antigens for something? Is that what they're talking? Is that yeah, what you're basically certain antigen tests, but I don't remember the exact ones off the top of my head. Okay. But but once again, there's things that we could do to better educate the population to prepare mm-hmm. them that would help them understand whatever the risk was for themselves. Right. But what I've seen is that in all cases, what we saw with COVID nineteen, the government doesn't want you to have any control or understanding of what's actually happening because then they can't right. exploit it. Yeah, no, that's, I like what you're saying here, Charles, and I want to just remind the audience that no one speaking on this program today is a doctor and nothing that's being said is medical advice. None of us are qualified to answer people's questions. People are asking, uh, what's the medicine that John was speaking about? We can repeat that, but it's important that people understand we're just making observations about products that exist in the world. And none of this is advice for people to go out and take the, the advice of speaking to your doctor about having a test. That's certainly, uh, good advice in general <clears throat> for anyone. And I like what you said there, Charles, because when I was about nine or 10, I had a really bad case of the flu. I was out of school for like a week and I remember being delirious and I don't think I've ever had the flu since then. So it makes sense in my personal experience and it just makes kind of good logical sense. And the case fatality, what Charles said about the case fatality ratio, we're, we're in complete agreement on that. As this thing becomes more widespread, the case fate, this 40%, 25%, that I agree with Charles, that's a fear thing. There's no way this thing is going to carry, or anything would carry that type of a, a case fatality ratio. It's 40%, I think, is what they had published in, in one of the things, because there were so few people that had it. So once you start getting into the tens of thousands, that's going to drop down into single digits, if if not you know 1% or less. I, I mean, Charles, am I wrong about that? Anything that's got a case fatality ratio over 1%, 2%, that's pretty significant in big numbers, well, right? In this case, um, when kids are kind of like a natural buffer, most viruses almost are not aerosol spreading. In fact, an aberration in this instance is the most infectious virus that we know of, which is measles. And measles, people don't realize this, but it spreads, it can spread via aerosol. That's why it's so so transmissible but you get it and then you don't die so the the trade-off the 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 classical trade-off for a virus is between transmissibility versus virulence and viruses evolve over time because it's you're more likely to survive as a virus if your host if your host survives and kids play a big role in this because Kids are the natural vectors because they will sneeze without covering their mouth, they'll cough without covering their mouth, they'll they'll lick their boogers, they'll pick their noses, they'll touch everything. And and what that does, that drives evolution away from anything that could spread targeting the lungs. 
because it's so much easier to spread. And so one of the things that was was absolutely asinine is closing down schools during the pandemic because instead of naturally attenuating, like, well, Omicron isn't natural, but Omicron is a upper respiratory spreading, not lung spreading illness. Um, if we had, because we closed those down, I think that that actually drove the strain to become even better at aerosol because we were masking and, and six foot spreading. And so it, it couldn't evolve to spread via droplets. It was actually the worst possible thing we could do. And I think that actually, that actually is what drove the evolution of the Delta strain. And how was Delta different? It was, it produced 100 to 1000 times more virions to compensate for the fact that the droplets weren't working. And so the only way that it could gain an advantage was to continue to get better at spreading via aerosols. And so the that same, made it less deadly same concept that would it, happen with any flu or anything else. So as it got better at spreading, it became less deadly? Is that So it, it's like the, the two vectors are always... Uh... Del well, Delta was a unique case where everything we were doing was simply pushing it in the wrong evolutionary direction. It was not a natural direction because global lockdowns was not a natural thing that we had ever done before. And what about and the stuff it, that Geert, Geert van den Bosch was talking about, you know, uh, inoculating during a pandemic is going to cause a leak. That, that yeah, also drove correct, right? Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So, we're, well, so all of this, everything we did yeah, was We're bad. in agreement on a fair amount of stuff. And so once again, I'm incredibly grateful to you for coming on and sharing your knowledge. And, uh, you know, again, I'm, I don't know what to say other than thank you so very much. I have oh, one you. final question for the panelists. And uh, start with Charles, and then we'll go to John. Did your position change at all? Did you learn anything from your opponent today? Well, I think John has, has done a lot of research into um, testing and also in terms of, like he mentioned, the antivirals that they're working on. And, and once again, I, it's not that I... H7N9 would be a bad virus. I, but but I no, I, it hasn't. My position hasn't changed. But there are things about H7N9 and, and his investigation of it that I did not know, and I appreciate that because what that means is that he is trying to do this due diligence, which is what I'm trying to do as well. And John, well, Same notably, question. yeah, well, notably this H7N9. So th there was a question earlier. The H7N9 test is a discrete test. It's not part of a respiratory panel from Eplex or Biofire or Panther or anything. You have to order it specifically from the CDC or the WHO. So this is not something they've got in the drawer. So if you want to get tested for it, you have to tell your doctor that the test only became available on Monday. So unless they ordered it yesterday or the day before, they don't have this test. You have to explicitly order it. And I think I have the information in that slide deck. I'll, I think I've posted it on, uh, on Twitter a couple times. So that's, that's just sort of a public service announcement that if you want to get tested for it, the test only became available on Monday. Doctors have to order that test special. It's not in any other respiratory panel. Um, as far as did I learn anything, I learned a whole bunch of stuff from Charles because he knows you know, more than I'm ever going to learn about this stuff. I mean, for, please. But did it change my hypothesis? No, not at all. 
I mean, the H7 and 9 outbreak in China is well documented. The fact that Kawaoka did gain a function on it is well documented. The fact that Operation Crimson Contagion was based on H7 and 9, and it ran for eight months. And the president is signing contracts with Pfizer and Moderna for influenza vaccines. Well, what the hell do we think that is? Is that H3N2? How would influenza disappear unless it was a strain that's not in the test kit? That's the only explanation for influenza legitimately disappearing would be it's a strain that's not in the test kit. And then that's kind of so no. So, but again, I learned a lot and I'm incredibly grateful to Charles, but it doesn't change my thesis now. Okay, well, that's a fair answer. I hope Charles will have an opportunity to do some more shows with you in the future because I do think there is more information that we can get to uh, working collectively and productively like this. And it's certainly much more pleasant to speak to someone with your level of expertise without being insulted and degraded. And I appreciate you for coming here and doing that with us. People can follow Charles on X, formerly known as Twitter. He's there at Charles Rixey, and it's a very informative Twitter uh, X feed. People can follow me at JG underscore CSTT, and you can watch episodes of this show live on X. And uh, today's episode was broadcast on X because they aren't censoring us in the way that YouTube is. And of course, you can follow John at I underscore am underscore John Cullen. It's going to remain chickens versus mice for the time being, but thank you both for participating in this excellent debate. I want to remind people they can sponsor John and access his sponsor-exclusive content by going to subscribestar.com slash I am John Cullen, patreon.com slash I am John Cullen. You can sponsor Crowdsource the Truth on odyssey.com, on Substack, on Subscribestar, and Patreon. And don't forget you can buy John Cullen's swag at uh, I am John Cullen. What's the, how do people get to this, John? It's Teespring, T-E-E Spring, teespring.com. Gotta get that swag. And you can get your Crimson Contagion watch caps, your uh-oh stuff, your we, you know. You can go to the Vaxxendered Lounge to get better shirts. I'll make you one special. Don't forget to sign up for Prometheus Shrugged. We'll make some fuck Pfizer, fuck Moderna. Substack page where you can read Charles Rixey's writing. Gentlemen, thank you both very much for an excellent debate. And thanks to everybody who sponsors Crowdsource the Truth and made this show possible. Have a great evening. I'll be back tonight with Charles Ortel from an undisclosed international location. Thanks for watching, everybody. Oh, where are they going? Uh, okay. Um, they're cringe-inducing. Um. <laughs> be back tonight, guys. Don't worry. The, again, this issue of him skirting around and misinterpreting the data from uh, Drastic and Jiao with the H7N9 um, clone in that data, Right, and if I, you, you can just do a quick search. I'll keep my screen share on. I'll wait for Charles to jump back in the chat as well. Um, but you can look at their uh, published work, and they're um, they're working on H7N9. They put a publication out. They're obviously working on um, 
vaccines, as they're saying. But what what they're picking up is the contamination in the raw reed, where they've taken it from patients, and it's highly likely that it wasn't from the patient. There's a consequence of the probably. I don't know if they're even reusing lanes at the um, on their machines as a cost cutting exercise. But what it does is it shows the um, the spectrum of viruses that they were handling, and that's why we know that they're working on that. There was a full Nipper clone in that read. There was um, I want to say I can't remember the other one, but there was there was the H seven N nine spike, basically the hemagglutinin spike and the um, uh, nipper. And this is a, as Charles was saying, a forensic way of saying, oh, that lab's working on that. So this, this data, if it's not completely clean, leads you to these signals. And what Cullen is doing is misconstruing that data to think that the patient had H7N9. And then if all the, and if he was, let's say he was correct, all the other cases that were being taken in as uh, mysterious, not mysterious, but let, let's say... Uh, so it's uh, isolated, basically, into one area. Um, yeah, so it's, it's there in the with data, right? And, we, okay. and, and so we know that there's... And it's, it would make sense that uh, like a viral testing facility, let's say yeah. anywhere that gets an outbreak of avian influenza, which does happen, there's this mm -hmm. um, constant surveillance yeah. for it, which is why they do the chicken um, culls when they find it, right? Because they want to, is it really that deadly in birds? I don't know. Um, but the, um, it, it would be in, so find, find hotspots where there's, just or, or supposedly SARS, and then see where there's a hotspot with SARS and um, H9, uh, the influenza virus, and then see what the raw reads say, and then you'll get a, a sense of how um, how contaminated, how much cross contamination is happening in the areas where there's influenza from birds, and then if you look at places where it's not present, right, or, or it's, it's supposedly uh, uh, avian influenza free zone you won't find it in the raw reads and they they keep saying that this stuff has not been tested for that's not true right they they have this avian influenza surveillance system potentially well europe um i don't know china's status in that but um it's it's a known hotspot for uh avian influenzas and the and, and it, it would be it would be there. You would get the full read of avian influenza in that raw data, like you would um, if you were looking. You would find if that person had um, pneumonia-related bacteria in, in this instance. And yeah, we were seeing lots of Klebsiella pneumoniae um, all of a sudden whenever I was in critical care. I do remember that. Uh, sorry, say lots that again. Lots of urine sepsis too. Because, you know, the kidneys are filling and it was getting infected, too. Uh, so while you were in the ICU as a, as a practicing nurse, you were seeing, I'm not sure what you're saying, that uh, it, uh, pneumonia that was hitting the kidneys, too, you were saying? And 
what was the cause? Yeah, we were seeing like sepsis pneumonia and urosepsis. Okay. And what was the cause in that instance? Um, like bacteria or viral is, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I mean there's a um there's a protocol that you would go for when you're um you're you're in a hospital where they would be looking to test. Again, is there a um Yeah, they would do cultures and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And this is um if it was like basically for all the um talking that Cullen did, all he's saying is is that SARS didn't really happen. It was it was actually this H7N9 influenza. Well, okay, so we've got millions of reads. In those reads, it should be it, there should be H7N9, the full the full viral sequence, and it's yeah. not. And if he's trying to say, well, okay, SARS has been modified to to contain the influenza spike, it would be seen when they would be doing essentially that the readout for the at the spike or, or the genomic data that they're extracting out, right? So they, they just sort of, you know, it's a complex um, yeah. process in how they sort of stitch together overlapping segments and you say, okay, this is, this happens 80% of the time. So we'll put a probability on it being those bases, et cetera. And, you know, there is a degree of computation involved, but um, there's, there's reproducibility in these techniques. And the um, it doesn't it doesn't have traction when he's saying that all what we were seeing was because of H7N9, whether it was crimson contagion or whatever, right? There was you would you would find it, and the fact that he's saying, well, there's just a test out from the CDC now to look for H7N9. Well, the next gain of function. Mm, but. Um, if it's if it's a known spreading avian influenza, you expect it to, or you would make do what it's supposed to. Yeah, and people working with poultry will get exposed to it, and so you would mm -hmm. you would have to you would want a more rapid test than the full genomic sequencing, right? So, Another reason you don't want them messing with our freaking foods, like yeah, yeah, and you know this um, the, the general points about what these individuals are up to in institutionalized science and there was agreement across both sides in that instance but to be sticking on the point and telling everyone that the uh what they suffered from and what they essentially got inoculated with by these vaccines was h7n9 doesn't stand up to scrutiny and again um the the data is there if you want to go and read the um the accession number and the read that they put into these databases and again, the... to me, it's more of a distraction away from what we need to focus on. Yes, yes, and this this is this is why I'm annoyed yeah. at this because it me keeps, too. He keeps dropping into um, threads and saying, "Wow, you, you're talking about SARS, and you should be yeah. talking about H7N9." Where the the mm -hmm. main thing is, is we should be talking about well, it, it, if what we've seen is bio warfare attack, which a lot of the, the data bins are very heavy that side in my opinion um we have to be yeah. understanding um exactly what it is that they fired at us and to be telling people that they got um flu doesn't um it doesn't when it was with... eradicated mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. 
and you know at the same time this this point about the uh, the missing flu doesn't <clears throat> um what what are we saying is happening here so colin is saying oh that the the flu at that time whatever was the circulating strain suddenly turned into um h7n9 wasn't being detected and then we were um seeing these pneumonias and attributing them to SARS-CoV-2 and the um which which is the most parsimonious explanation that once you and it's not masks it's the fact that people were shut down and there wasn't yeah, the traffic with people interacting on subways and buses and um shopping malls where this um usually community spread happens right and we we know that happens uh, children weren't at school yeah, yeah. yeah. and he, he's um that all got shut down. And I mean, I, I know people like to point at the shutdown, at lockdowns as being responsible for the, the massive death that was sustained over the, yeah. uh, the course. And perhaps we're still seeing, I think. Mm -hmm. This was brought up Monday, I want to say, um, in the UK Parliament. Again, another sort of cooling down the mark. Oh, good. Sorry. Good, they brought it up. Yeah, you know, it's Andrew Bridgen. Again, it's it's sort of like the equivalent of one of these like congressional meetings where they'll give you yeah. a little side room and feel that you've been able to vent in, uh, on the public, but nothing changes. It, it, your feelings don't matter. Here you go. Here's a mm. cookie. And they're, they're <laughs> doing another COVID inquiry where they've literally said, we won't investigate the vaccines. Uh, yes at yes, this, this point it should be considered the vaccine and rule until proven otherwise is my my, my opinion yeah from what yeah. we're seeing and the the, the premise of the biowarfare hypothesis is that you've got to be looking at everything right? yeah and, you have to you can't leave it anything unturned mm, mm, mm. and then, and then Especially you it's, it. it's something we've never faced and we can't fucking see it so it's like <laughs> we got to use our spotty senses to an extent, and uh, welcome, welcome the Marine. Um, Bravo, sir. Went into the lion's den. Uh, yeah, lion's well. den. There was a, a, a Jew York homo. Um, <laughs> man, I don't know. There's something, there's something about him just rubs me the wrong way. And uh, hopefully, you don't mind if I eat some Chick fil A here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yourself, help, bro. Um, so I was, I was trying to sort of just break down the premise of the arguments that were made and i was just saying as you joined i was talking about which 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 is the most parsimonious explanation which is why did flu go away if you follow cullen's reasoning is that the that season which you were trying to explain was well they can look at what the uh, circulating strain is and how much that applies as a proportion of the flu in that particular season flipped from being whatever it was in 2019 to um h7n9 and right. so we weren't able to detect it and um the hang on my missus is bothering me and the other explanation being it's not masks per se it's that you shut people into houses you shut down offices shopping malls combo stuff mm -mm. and so the normal the normal spread of and burden of pathogens was lowered, and so that's that's why you see the drop. But you know the point being, that, or the disturbing thing that we have to deal with is that 
um, if SARS comes out the gate highly adapted for humans, highly adapted for aerosol transmission, and then you know every every decision that was made at a sort of executive level right now has to be looked at very um, circum through a circumspect lens. And let's say let's say they knew that they had to sort of drive aerosol transmission, as Charles was saying in that discussion. Well, okay, that was the wrong wrong thing to do in terms of um, natural posture and defenses that we've evolved as right. um, co cohabitants on this planet. And so the and in fact, I don't I don't think I've ever really sort of sat there and thought about oh man, but could they really think about would that be modeled enough for them to say okay we have to make it um we have to maintain aerosolization so the way to do that is to <clears throat> lock down aggressively and then that that maintains the um i mean <clears throat> that i don't know if i think that was an unintended consequence your mic again they... is low dude do you do you change it when Oh, hold on, hold on. Turn your mic down low. I did it. It's it just me. It's a bit better. No. I don't know. Hopefully That's it's better. not just you. That's better. Oh, all right. Well, so no, it was... Yes, it, the, in, in pretty much every instance, my explanations are more parsimonious, just the same way with the fact, okay, what's more likely? Is it that infectious clones can't spread and they have this massive infrastructure designed to spread it and make it appear like it was natural? Or they just made a virus that can spread. And and this is very much a similar way. Because if you really wanted to look at it, you could say that the increase in ILI and or in PNI, excuse me, the increase in PNI that that was clearly there, maybe that was the actual COVID and then we subtract everything else because everything else was iatrogenic, for instance. Like there's so many other possible explanations that make more sense than there was an additional um, flu strain that was that was highly pathogenic. Because once again, if it was highly pathogenic, then that would have been clearly obvious. But even let's say that it was HPII, and it was eight, seven, and nine, and it was in New York. That still wasn't. You wouldn't have seen the. There would be a completely different presentation of symptoms, completely different profile on the X-rays. Because you wouldn't, you would have had instead of dry cough, you would have had something else. You would have had different, uh, an entirely different presentation of symptoms that would have looked more like flu, but just more systemic and that's not what we saw mm. we saw something completely different and so the, 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 that was a big piece missing from that discussion which is the pathology systemic right yeah. and unfortunately like <clears throat> i agreed to the debate format but i didn't realize that like it wasn't the best format for that discussion i think if it had been a more free discussion we could have actually covered a lot more ground more efficiently mm. um and so next time I wouldn't do that. I would, I would do it just more in a free range discussion. I, I do think that that held back, but then again, at the same time. It, because it what he's, what he's trying to do is um, structure the conversation. Cause he's got those video drops that he thinks are um, actual mic drop moments in terms of 
this data and so so like the ratio for trying to determine <clears throat> influenza okay well it's it's a they're trying to derive uh, uh essentially a not constant but a, they're just trying to derive a ratio from large numbers from messy data sets right and you can right. agree or disagree with how they've done it but so long as so long as you're it's constant across years you can account for um it's it's input into the the totality of the, of the yeah i mean it's still useful for identifying trends i i thought that it was stupid to use influenza burden just like i i think it's completely when you mix in pneumonia it doesn't matter like how we wanted to explain it when you mix in pneumonia then you're 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 exchanging one problem for another so because and because you're all you're doing is just saying okay well it must be like e even when i laid it out and explained it and said okay only a small percentage of pneumonia deaths come from the flu every year well, let's say it's 15 percent or 25 percent max most of those 250,000 cases every year are something else. And so when he said, okay, well, there's, but there was still like a, you know, let's say, I don't remember if it was, he said something in the 400. So let's say it was a, a 200,000 increase in non-COVID uh, P&I. Well, what's more likely? Well, what's more likely is that some of that was just COVID that was tested negatively or something. Like the, there's, because we know that, that it was inflated, but there's no reason to assume that the tests were, if if you have tests that aren't act, accurately showing what's going on, then it, it using PNI is not the right way to go about trying to differentiate from flus. Because if the PNI was that much greater, and there's not a chance in Hades that with metagenomic sequencing that the entire world would have missed a highly right. pathogenic influenza train. It, it's just impossible. Because mm. it had been going into the birds and animals anyway, which they're testing for, right? And we've seen the right. sort of mass die-offs when, I don't know, like seals get it. And, um, right. they, they and, we're, not, it. and we're not having mass die-offs from, from influenza. We're not, we're not seeing, you know, people's, people's faces turning blue. Mm. Well, I mean, I guess they kind of were, but that was from COVID. I mean, mm. it's just... It's it's looking in all the wrong places. He's absolutely right. Just so like we've been talking about. Even JC has picked up on this. Oh, thank you. Sweet. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Came and kissed me in the back. <laughs> just well, she gives me my sweaty back. So <laughs> she's four, four and a half. So she just loves me anyway. Um, but yeah, it it's it's a it's a solution searching for the problem. When the truth is, is that they're fear mongering because they haven't done it yet, and they want to use it. And they know that they know that if they get that balance of it's of it's scary enough, then if they ever did want to pull that card again, because that's the only way they could do it, because COVID was not scary enough. They tried to make it, and we've learned. So everybody knows that that you know H seven N nine kills fifty percent of the people it infects. Well, and that but that's only because that's what we know, and we know that if it did ever actually go highly transmissible to a pandemic level then it's still subject to the same 
epidemiological rules and stuff that we saw with COVID-19, which is why, in fact, it was Omicron's complete, completely different. Hello, nothing. <laughs> it, was, it was Omicron's completely different. Um, like it, it, the epidemiological rules that it followed, or it broke all the epidemiological rules. And we now know that it broke all the sequencing. Like when we look at the sequence, it, we know it's not natural. But what, what, that's how it stands out. What, and we what, couldn't. Oh, uh, go I was ahead. just going to say, I just uh, just to before I forget it, like about the metagenomic sequences, I, it really bugs me how he's misconstruing the data from with and what Diao and um, Adrian. Correct, and I, I tried to explain it, but yeah, he's just not. He's just deliberately trying to um, ignore what it means with respect to well, it's it's contamination, and it doesn't mean it came from the patient. It means that it's a picture of what the institute that the, the testing is working on, and that's it, right. It's... Which is what Dow you said. Mm. That's that's what they were talking. That's what they were saying in the paper, which was that really what we believe this is is contamination of the lab that was doing the sequencing, and the lab that was doing the sequencing was the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And so, what is it? What else did we find? They also well, did well, there, was there was Nipah virus. Yeah, the, the, there's Nipah, and there was a whole bunch of agricultural samples. There was in, a Merbeka virus. Hmm. There was, with a furin cleavage site, I think. There was all sorts of different things. And that doesn't mean that Nipah was naturally occurring hmm. in Wuhan at the time. It just, what that really means, just like with those, with the Italian um, cases from like November and whatever, most of those can be written off as contamination in the sequencing lab and then that's it yeah and you know there's this it's it's starting to become really irritating this fixation about wow you know this, <laughs> is it did it really happen or, or didn't it that where the where the discussion should be they positioned and fired that's what they did and now we've got to try and pick through what it is that they've fired at us and it could have been you could argue she's <laughs> she looks like you dude <laughs> Hey. Yeah, that's how it works. Winning. <laughs> hey, pretty girl. Um, no, she can't hear you, but the uh, <laughs> yeah, the the cuteness interlude just um, broke my train of thought. Yep. But uh, the well, the, what what I was trying to get at is we have to understand what they fired at us and how they did it, right? And yes, of course, they used psychological warfare. Okay, but we're trying to make people look at it from a warfare perspective and you know in a lot of instances i'm going to defer to charles expertise here and then on the other end we have to look at the molecular biology and let that guide us with respect to what they tried to fire and there's the conclusion at the moment is that that was um a potentially pre-uncatalyzing epitope in the in the s1 segment and I don't think that's an accident. You don't have something pop out of nowhere, highly adapted for humans, with that sequence on, and then all this uh, positioning take place where there's a whole network of predators poised to um, profit, I guess, in this instance. Profit and derail. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Well, so I don't know. How did the chat? Like, I, I was watching what was the, the general sense from what everybody was watching that um one he was just speaking over you in the time that you were supposed to be allotted 
and two, <coughs> from my perspective, he's not bringing anything to the table in terms of evidentiary standards beyond newspaper clippings and this constant churn that, that's always been there about um, these avian um, influenzas that could potentially pop from one species to the other. Yeah. And it's, well, it's, it's not new. And even JC, to his credit, has has called out um, Redfield mm. for fear-mongering on this. Now, we don't we don't know exactly what would happen if there was a highly transmissible form of either one of these avian flus or some other avian flu. We can't say for sure what would happen. But what we can say is that the the virulence would probably be bad, but there is natural immunity for a segment of this population. It was Warobi himself who figured that out. And and he he made a pretty compelling argument when when he based when he was showing, okay, well, if you've previously had X, you've previously had H1N1, just like one of the prevailing arguments for why the elderly and the young in 1918 were spared largely, and it was mostly affecting people in in our age group. Well, that was for a couple of reasons. One, that's the milieu that it that it evolved, that it jumped from and became highly transmissible in. And there had been a, a pandemic in 1892 and 1893 that was something. They didn't know what it was at the time. They don't know if it was flu or maybe it was, you know, a human coronavirus or whatever. But but it could have been the flu and it could have been a similar strain. Mm. And that's why the elderly, almost uniquely in in modern history, were spared. I mean, the elderly were actually did just fine. And so, so there's there's a lot of different aspects to this, but none of them point to that we've already had an outbreak of eight, seven, and nine on a global scale. It's just not there. Ah, mm. <laughs> oh, she's so cute. Yeah, yeah. So... Not just because she looks like me. Like I, all of my three kids have blonde hair and blue eyes. Well, well, blonde hair. <laughs> blonde hair, yes. That's right. Um, those, are, those are genes we need to preserve, sir. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somehow they look like me, but better. Mm. And, I had good genes, have... but not now. <laughs> well, my, my, uh, neither of their moms had blonde hair, so it's... Uh, well, I used to have blonde hair, blonde straight hair. Now I have curly dark hair. Integration, we'll see. That's that's uh, interesting. Yeah. We say there's a pretty pretty good odds of that. All right, sweetie. Oh, mm. So, um, okay. you know, I don't I don't think there was any sort of progress made. Um, in that side, the fact that he can't grasp the metagenomic component and keeps keeps trying to point at, um, well. Because the thing is, we know that there's been this avian influenza going around, right? As well, right? It's it's not it's not an unknown factor at at the moment, and there's a very very large 
network of surveillance put in place because of it. And I think, um, well, you know, in again from the weapons framework, could they have messed with that potentially? Potentially, but I don't know. In my mind, it's a you've got to you've got to have a degree of base reality to make these organizations go the direction you want them to go because you've still got to you've still got to have the machine spitting out data and the people doing the analysis to say okay we we use that and now we can build the case you know if for, for people that wanted to abuse it they can build the case that there's um a particular agent circulating and I'm sure they would have loved it if there was H7N9 gone super transmissible and causing carnage. Um, didn't happen. Yeah. Um, well, um, I wasn't necessarily... I do this just to get this information out there because I I feel pretty strongly that, um, that people in, in the audiences, in all audiences, you know, as they're listening to people over time, there's a reason why your audience keeps, you know, well, keeps kind of growing, um, despite the suppression and, um, you know, and JC's has not really been, I mean, every time I watch his stream, there's always at least. It's half my uh, lot in there. Frank. <laughs> yeah. At least 50% or more of 50% or more less audience live watching his stream every single day when he's streaming. So, um, there's a reason for that. It's because you're, despite everything, you, you are. Is it extremely at... good looking? Hardly. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't uh, know that I would have said that, but uh, but you know, it's it's but, it's entertaining for people. That's that's the um, well and, and, and informative. Also, that's the... well. The, the truth is that you and I share some pretty common uh, threads here, and yeah. and the biggest two, the biggest ones, is that we're pretty much proven right over time. So the things that we said in the past tend to come out true. And if there's anything that wasn't, we've, we've, we've been like, Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, clearly the first time I was on your show, I had just gotten my second jab mm. and then, and, but I'd also just found out that jabs were bad. So like I've clearly learned that it doesn't mean that I was a, like, I was a bad person or that I, because I got jabbed twice. Mm. It's, well, it's because I'm, I'm the evidence too. Y'all, so y'all like to learn off of me. Well, right, but that's that's why I appreciate. Well, I think your audience appreciates the fact that, at the end of the day, every all the science that keeps coming out and everything that keeps coming out keeps pointing directly to the direction that we're leaning, mm. and. You know, JC might disagree, but thankfully, right. it's so bad RFK that... and the senators and everybody else, they're figuring it out. Mm. Peter McCullough talking about bioweapons and quoting my stuff. Mm. So stop hugging me. Stop loving me so much. You know? <laughs> uh, anyway, But th that's why, you know, it, it, in the end, that's my take home. And that's why I feel okay about it is because, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to win everybody over to Christ, but at least we're we're on the right path. So. Yeah, they need to get on the bandwagon. They're they're gonna get left behind because we we ain't got time for that shit. We got stuff to do. Mm. 
Yeah, and because the thing is, we you don't know, you don't know what the well. If you, you have to take the assumption that if a weapon was fired, then okay, you're being dragged in, and again, I, I would say geopolitical instability is has to be taken into this calculation as well. And the simple fact is, we don't know what they've got planned next, right? We can try to second guess it, and you know, I, I can see them sort of whipping up uh, drama around disease X. There's the pangolin virus that. Just you know, it's done a what coronaviruses do, which is invade the yes. brain, and 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 HPAI. I mean, John's not wrong to point out <laughs> that they're they're highlighting it, but any and it's just ironic that he would believe them in this case, but not in other cases. Mm -mm -mm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like a pick and choose of the data, and um, I I would just say at this stage, what happened as events kicked off you've just got to presume that that's a noisy data set right now and then you have to watch what happens as we uh, as time evolves and then if we're mm -hmm. in a situation where there's there's literal carnage well yeah carnage there's um i can put both of you on the the vax injured side right now um then you, you have to pay attention to what what that data means and um now, I watched uh, Matt Crawford, I guess it was his last stream. He was trying to sort of address, uh, oh, God, Berenson, right? And Matt, for what I would say is, he's, he's spinning his wheels somewhat in on wasted stuff when there's, you know, you could probably just say, okay, we've kind of dealt with, that but I mean that that's just being thorough with data but he, he's he can see and makes this very eloquent argument about well the the damage that was done tracks to the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum so you can basically say well yeah okay so they've fired it at the people that they think don't want shouldn't be around they want to say four billion people need to be taken off the face of this planet well, who who are they going to take? Well, the 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 people that, um, you know, the the I don't know whatever whatever it is, fate karma has put them in in the um, useless eaters, you know, right. whatever you want to. You is the bugs. I will not eat the bugs. No. And yeah. at, at this stage, I'm like, we can't ignore the, the stated aims of what these people are saying. Now that we've reached this technology threshold. And we've got these fingerprints in there. This is and to try to try to dismiss it as like the, there was a review article out today, and I don't know. It was just the headline, and people were sort of um, pissed at it because it's a Nature Molecular Biology review, and it definitively states in the abstract, SARS is a zoonotic origin pathogen. Well, that's that's not appropriate science for a leading journal considering all the data points that exist at the moment that's that's a um <clears throat> it's, it's not science it's it's a biased editorialized take on the current state of data that we have and well from a top six journal and it was me that showed that the top six journal literally only 2.7 percent of their articles out of 256 that i did Actually, it might have been less because it was only seven articles that 
were even open to the possibility of it being a non-natural origin. It was a 1 to 19 ratio, whereas it was a 1 to 1.6 ratio for all other journals in terms of being either zoonotic or lab-leading. So when, when you have the top ones that have a completely opposite perspective, basically, that ratio of 19 to 1 is is insane when all of the rest of the medical and or all of the scientific literature is saying that no, it's actually probably really about the same. We don't know. So that is clearly this this other paper, I haven't even seen it or heard about it yet, but clearly all that is just further mm. narrative control. In fact, I, I I'm sure I'll look at the authors and there's a Greater than 50%. Well, the, only, the only reason I saw it was because, you know, Alex Washburn is doing, you know, he's in a institutional position and he's doing the right, the right thing right now in trying to call stuff out. I mean, I'm just, I'm sitting here just thinking, oh, I want to swap flies and nonsense around us while we work. Who's that? It, Who'd you say? Alex who? Washburn. Um, yeah. He's done a great job. <clears throat> and once again, I'm not saying there's a correlation there. But I was introduced to him by Andrew Huff and uh, like 10 months before he he really started joining the fight. Because prior to really publishing that paper, he wasn't – only about a month prior to that did he really start publicly attacking the – you know, fighting from our side. He'd been pretty quiet. And I told him as soon as I met him, I was like, yeah, we could use you because we need, you know, high-level statistical analysis to support everything that we're finding. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, within just a few months, he and teamed no up. One, no one, no one guys refuted those findings. Absolutely. Well, they can't refute it. They mm. tried. There have been some people that tried, but mm -hmm. but it was so obvious. Once they pointed out, "Hey, we found these," you know that that Barrick stuff that that we can't find any trace of. Well, we found a trace of it. Mm -mm -mm. That's and to find and to figure out in the latest diffused like FOIA stuff that I don't even think has been released yet, but in there they literally mention six specific pieces and say the chimera that we're going to make is going to be six different pieces, which means five restriction sites. <laughs> mm. And and so literally that's exactly that is exactly what Alex found in his papers. Mm. So just, and, and there's even more stuff, but basically just further, basically all the edits that they took out of Diffuse would, would have just been further nails in the coffin. Oh shit. Mm. They, they took out all the, the pieces that would have been the most damning, but there they are in the working drafts of Diffuse. Mm. Yeah. Every, every, literally everything that I said and have been saying for 18 months or for two years, everything in those messages that have come out in the last six to nine months about diffuse has 100% confirmed everything that I was saying. And so JC of course would say, well, that's just because it was all part of the narrative and I was being paid. And so all I did was just foreshadow everything that's happening now. And mm. all of the FOIs are fake because they would only release them if they were part of the narrative. Like, I know. I, I, I don't really, I don't really know what you can do with that when, when you're, well, the, pro the problem is, is that you, you you've got a um, there's a oh, it's a shifting quantity, but there's a network that is sort of working and devoting time to trying to 
understand what happened. And all the time you're injecting scientific nonsense in, it, it skews off the time that should be spent furthering the, the analysis where the data is strongest, right? So if you, if you spend the time trying to say, I don't know, let's, let's take the JMOC because I, that's just what I watched recently when I was speaking to you, or it would have been yesterday now about this time. The where he's trying to say, well, yeah, this this is it's, it's not natural. Basically, is what you could sort of take his position to be. Well, okay, it's not natural. Then what? Then what? What what do you mean? What do we do? And how do you move forward if it's not natural? How do you, what? Nothing happened. So there's nothing. So that's correct. It's not natural, and nothing happened. Mm. That's correct. That's what he's arguing. And so, what do you do with that information? Nothing. Nothing, and so you could probably. Oh, praise Jesus! <laughs> so why is he so? Why is he so upset? <laughs> and I suppose you could say, the. I don't know the, non-compliance solution comes out through the same, reasoning. But this is it's it's a weak position to be on. When, the next phases kick in, if they've done this type of strike it's, it's global in nature and um whatever you say there's still tens of millions taken out whatever you think the reason was and um you can't convince me that a couple of months lockdown at the beginning was the cause for what we see as deaths now well especially if if they're claiming that nothing happened and it wasn't lockdowns. It was literally just iatrogenic stuff. People or just decided to die. Single, people just decided to die. Yeah. Mm. That's, they were like, you know what? I don't want to be here for 2020. So I'm just going <laughs> to. I'm just it's checking time. out this. Yeah. I'm just, <laughs> just going to let it happen. Yeah. Just going to sign off. And once again, even in, in that, even in that show, I, I pointed out. So even if 50% of it or more or whatever, was iatrogenic why there, there was still something else that was happening in 2020 mm. and you, you know I'll, I'll give john credit for at least being closer to the answer than jc mm -hmm. so it's, you know it's the, it's the stubbornness around and, and the thing is that so he's not being scientific what he's trying to do is like maintain a sort of editorialized line knowing that there's going to be a audience out there that will or basically a fan base in this instance and that's taking around with it yeah and and so you know you get like when i did that was it monday i don't know the the last talk show i did and that person comes on and says denny rancor says this well okay then I start explaining denny rancor's data break it down and they can't do it right and this exactly yeah well they make the same mistake with rancor that they make with jc which is that when you are a scientist and you flash your scientist stuff around there and you've been right about some things in the past, Evie, Evie, shh, hush. <laughs> when, you, when you flash your credentials. I was going to say, we, we barely Basically. hear a dude, so don't worry this end. Um, oh, okay, well, when you, when you base your arguments and flash your credentials and, and you've been right about some things, that's great. But that doesn't mean that this next thing that you're arguing is correct or that, or that 
or that we can trust that you're not um, shaping the data or p-hacking or whatever in this instance in order to support your argument? And, and what is it that we've always tried to do? When you go, JC didn't read anything that I wrote because he he just he just started ascribing opinions to me that that literally I had the opposite opinion and I'd written about it on Prometheus Shrugged and he just never read it. And he didn't know what my opinions were, but he just described them to me. Well, and not, if, not only if he's that, willing to do that with that. me, then he's probably willing to do that with the science. Mm. Yeah, he just, they don't care what it says. You can, you can tell them the fucking sky is blue. They're going to be like, no, nah, it's purple, bro. Mm. Well, well I mean, for him, day. it might be purple. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> purple haze. Um, but purple haze. <laughs> so he, he actually, again, in the stream I watched, basically accused you of coming to his house to dupe you around diffuse. And so, again, what that is, is it's not um, addressing the science. It's saying that Charles is a deep state agent designed to take out a prominent voice in the <laughs> by feeding uh, uh, a nonsense uh, data feed to. And, and why, why would I have come to him? He, he's not has he never thought about that like if i wanted to take out a prominent voice in the resistance why would i have gone to jc who'd walk away from drastic and had a limited audience i wouldn't have come to him i came to him because i knew who he was i'd had good interactions with him and i trusted him as a scientist and, and i you know i watched his immunology streams and everything else and i learned things from him even though he's not an immunologist but at least he was doing the due diligence with that whereas now he's not well, if you're opposition, then I'm a big old fat honey pot. <laughs> Careful now. I've seen lots. I've seen lots of honey pots. So So, so what's I'm not the, that good of an actress. Sorry. What's the? Well, neither is JC. So. <laughs> I, I still don't know who JC is. So when y'all see that, I just think you're of not, Jesus you're, Christ. You're not missing much. Mm. You're not missing much. No, it's not Jesus Christ that we're talking about. Yeah. But or it, the Antichrist. It's it's important because you're seeing the argumentation emerge in the public discourse. And if the public discourse dies, then whoever was responsible and had fingerprints all over this walks away unscathed. And so it's vitally important that the science around which the discussion is happening, irrespective of what you think of individuals per se, matters. And so what's being put on the table as um, or hypotheses that try to make predictions, um, aggregated data, which enables us to look at perhaps forefore of action, because that, is, that, that's like the legal um, issue, right? When you're trying to say that if, you're, if you kill someone, you can, that there's this thing about, well, okay, sometimes accidents happen. Um, you're responsible for that person's death, but you weren't deliberately trying to do it. And so there's a, there, there becomes a difference in the way that you would be prosecuted, right? Which basically... Well, intent matters. Intent matters. That's mm -hmm. why actus reus, the act of committing the crime, is half of the equation. And the other half is, what was your intent when you committed the crime? Was it murder or was it manslaughter? And so when you when you play this game where you minimize evidence without your own evidence um 
that's bad. And then when you proclaim yourself to be the science and to, and to be saying that you've done the due diligence, um, that's a big deal. And so whenever I did that with my conclusions in, in my watchmaker document, what did I do? At the end of it, I said, I'm saying this. I know the gravity of what I'm saying is, is massive, and I'm willing to testify about it. In fact, I've already, you know, we, we were putting those affidavits together, and we're doing all this other stuff because we want to be those people that are, we want to be sitting there on the stand and, and bring these conclusions and bring our evidence to support it. I don't see JC doing that. Mm. He did that with his with his anti jab paper that that he wrote that he released in early 2021, which I thought was a great paper. It pointed out all the bullshit that they were saying about the jabs that wasn't true, mm. immuno, from an immunological perspective. And I respected him for that, and so I trusted that he was doing his due diligence in other areas too. Mm. And then and then I realized when he attacked me that he hadn't done his due diligence with me. And I would, I consider myself his partner who'd come to his house because I respected him. And, and once again, I realized that whatever he had been doing in terms of his, his due diligence was completely gone and he was just winging it. And so was Mark. And so is Matt Crawford. They're, they're winging it and they're using their own expertise to project this image that what they're saying is true. And they know that it's true when they don't know that it's true. And if it was true, then they would be able to draw conclusions. Those conclusions would have evidence. And then as further evidence emerged, that evidence would support or go against their conclusions. And guess what? With my conclusions and with your conclusions, my conclusions that I wrote in July of 2022 are still 100% accurate. They have not been proven wrong. And basically all the evidence that's come out continues to support them. Mm. And, the, and guess what? As that evidence comes out, I add that to the list of evidence for each one of those conclusions. Mm. So that is called, that is what due diligence is. Mm. And yeah. and the problem is that they're, they're saying, Oh, well, I'm a PhD and I was right about this. So I must be right about that. And then he's pointing the gun at our own side and attacking all of us for it. Mm -mm -mm. So at the very least, at least John Cullen, I've seen his work in other areas and he does put in due diligence. Now he may not be an expert and he may draw wrong conclusions or what we believe are wrong conclusions. And he may also be a, a narrative person. I, I think he, I've seen some of his other work and I find that there's parts of it that are pretty credible and it, it's clear that he's done some of the research. However, in this case, he's wrong. And that's why I was willing to debate him. And I was disappointed that he I don't think the format helped, but I was disappointed that that he talked over yeah, me. Like a show. And I was trying to show it. I mean, yes, it was more theatrical, but at the you know what JC doesn't isn't JC hasn't had Walter, me, Kevin, um, Kevin McKernan, Jessica Rose, um, Meryl Nass. Well, He's he has had, he has, but then walks walks in another direction, trying to fill in the gaps right, around but, him. But not since he went on this this uh, spirit quest that he's been on now for the last year and a half since then, none of those people have come back. Why? Because all of us have mounds of evidence that we can easily point to and say, Hey, guess what? Um, this is a great idea, except we have all this evidence that shows that, that you're barking up the wrong tree and he doesn't want it. 
what what's really sickening is he doesn't want to expose his own followers to the op opposing arguments, which is exactly what the Zunati are doing with their censorship. <laughs> and so at least at least John Cullen, I will give him credit because I went on a show. He knew I was going to disagree with him, but we at least had the show. And he's and and they're still willing to have me come back on, even though I completely disagree. So, you know, in the echelon of things, that's at least has more respectability to it. Mm -hmm. And and look, obviously, I completely disagree. I, I, I don't think he was. I think there was. I don't know why he wasn't picking up what I was putting down. But he wasn't presenting my information when he was talking about it. He wasn't presenting it to his audience correctly, even though I was right there. So I, I don't know. I don't know if that's he was. I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he just. Well, he said he said if there was new evidence, he would um, pick it up. Well, OK, go, go take the time. I mean, if, he, if he's a programmer at Oracle, it should be a piece of cake for him to sign on to GISAID and start pouring through those sequences. And you just you just know the sequence you want to look for. And, um... and, and, I, and I told him, I was like, look, there's there's millions, there's 16 million sequences. Now, all of those samples were, were like... It's, were it's actually better to say there's SRA 16 million reads, right? Well, That's... yeah, there's 16 million reads, but th but there's... But, but there's also samples that are submitted to different databases where you can do metagenomic sequencing, and there's at least hundreds of thousands of those. And so he, he or anybody else can do what Jicky did, or, or you know, or any of the people that we know have gone there, typed it in. I even started trying to. I've done it for a couple things, but you know, I'm not a master at that. But even I have made the the, the effort to learn because I wanted to be able to. You know, you know what? I, I might just different I, things. I might just have a word with Hengen because he's got the capability of crunching the bigger numbers in, in an automated way. Let's just let's just get a read on um, H7N9 in the the databases that are there. I think that's probably that, I think that's the quickest way just to say that, that there's the that's also that's also the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Look, because if he has if if he can't do it, you know and I don't expect everybody to be able to just start doing it. And, but if he's not going to do it or he can't do it, then at the very least, we, somebody amongst our group can do it and get more of a clearer answer. Mm. And I think that absolutely would be beneficial. Mm. But, but once again, when somebody comes up with a new hypothesis, that's the appropriate thing to do, which is exactly why when, when, they were talking about the jabs. What did you do? What did what did Richard do? You guys got samples and you tested the samples because you wanted you didn't just want to say, no, there's no graph graphinos at spectaculos. Mm -hmm. You wanted to actually say, I looked at vials, this is what I found. And you know what? If you had found graphene oxide or other Yeah, I'd have been <laughs> you I'd be really famous now. You yeah, you would be really famous. You know, but you didn't spit on the slide and you didn't lie about what you found. And so you weren't on Stu Peters or... or no, I was, or, but I was there well, to basically call you, in. Because you had the data, because you had done the work. And so you said, oh, yeah. And so you, 
but you did your due diligence. And that's why, hey, that's one of many reasons, of course, why I respect you. Because once again, we don't agree on everything. I have disagreements with Kevin. Okay. It's not true. But, but <laughs> none of those have risen to the level for me to say, you know what? I, I can't sit here and, and look at the audience and say, you know what? Kevin is lying to you. He's not doing his due diligence. He's not saying what he believes, et cetera, et cetera. Kevin believes what he believes. And he brings evidence every single show. He 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 go he reads through papers. He watches the news with you guys, and and he sh he brings you the evidence to say this is weird, this is strange, this is my interpretation of this data, or, or whatever is happening. And I can respect that. So if you think something's not going on, then I don't I don't know how to help you. Right. So let me rephrase. The differences between us are pretty small. Obviously, we get along great. You know, I think I consider you my best friend, or at least one of them. So, cheers, yeah, cheers. So, and but, you know, I've accepted where where we have discord. Or, you know, I'm I'm always open to listen. We've had long. Just imagine what we're like on here when we're not on. That's all we do anyway. We just talk about the same crap and have these really long discussions because we're trying to figure shit out. That's how we 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 were digging into remdesivir to to figure out how deadly it actually was because we didn't know and we hadn't really bothered to look. And so we went in and we looked and guess what? When they did the studies, they showed that the, that the LD 50 was something ridiculous, way more, like a thousand times more than what they were. They would have to give like, I don't even remember what we thought. 12 grams pound, or something. 12 but, grams of remdesivir, you know, mm. some a thousand times greater than what they were given. Mm. And so what did we draw from that? Well, we drew from it that that probably wasn't the driver of most of the death. And the main reason it was being utilized was because it was a thousand dollars a dose or $3,000 a, a series or whatever it was. Mm. And that's a perfectly logical conclusion drawn from due diligence, just looking at the data. Mm. And if you, if you, and if, if you think this is one example, the, like the vaccines as you, as you get, as you get, Oh, I can hear, uh, hear myself coming back. Is that coming from, that's weird. Okay, it's not, I don't know. I, uh, could uh, be coming from you or me. I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah. But, um, but uh, what I was going to say was this: so the pieces that are brought from the people that look at the vaccines, for example. So there was like materials analysis, as you know, as best as I could do with the equipment available, and it it, it sort of it went far. It didn't quite match that German group's capability, but that was a full team of people um, working a, a lot of hours to get that data together. Um, and so we 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 Scott or pulled out that data around what what were we dealing with in terms of materials? Then another piece comes with Kevin McKernan. Okay, now we can say that there's genetic contamination in there. And you know, I had this wasn't the timing was difficult over the weekend as we were we were talking, and we were just sort of back and forth about you know what's the, what's the risks and. There's a bunch of theoretical dangers there, of course, um, about integration. It's it's not just naked DNA. It's in um, the the lipid nanoparticle. And the but the final part is is that oh, actually it's it's a it's a forensic piece of data which says that there was problems. And the official narrative again is paper thin when of what was tried to be 
thrown at the public. And so we can we can basically move apart or, or extract from this equation the people who have been around pushing for the click, right, the clickbait stuff, which is, oh, it's doing this, it's nano, whatever. I still see people putting into my feed Karen Kingston and the um that it's going to build nanobots in your brain and i'm like ah you know it's, <laughs> I'd, I'd love to have well, that you know that is it's because it's because whether or not they want to admit it there's there's like this contest for now who's the most censored or whatever but the truth is is that i win that one <laughs> yeah is that there's different levels and uh you know when when all of the i mean texas Lindsay and you know, and Andrew Huff and, and well, actually Andrew at one time is, he was uh boost when, well, one time he was growing quite a bit. And he, he, once again, he's also being suppressed more now. And you can tell just from looking at, you know, when somebody with a thousand followers hmm. is getting five times the, the impressions that I am, you know, all the time, it, it's pretty obvious. And and you were deep, like you were debanked, <laughs> like they, they, so they they went after you in ways that you know, mm. even John Cullen, John Cullen is talking about the Las Vegas shooting and, and conspiracies surrounding that. Which, well, once again, I he's doing some good work in that area. It's mm -hmm. one of several areas in which he's done some good work. I, I think he's completely wrong in this, but most of his videos, I mean, he he's got. 30,000 followers or, or subscribers on YouTube. So, I mean. I don't think those numbers are real, dude, because there was 45, let's say, watching. Right. Well, I mean, we don't, we don't know. Subscribers on YouTube is, is a rather um, inexact science mm -hmm. just based upon like whenever I'm watching like soccer commentary or something. And well, yeah, it's, it's, it's very different, but the end result is, I mean, just when we were on Odyssey, you know, they had more subscribers than you, but you have a lot more views of, of your average videos than, than they do. Mm. Now, Odyssey isn't their main platform, but but you would you not, would expect people who were you know correct thinking you're doing you're doing comparatively well, and um, you're doing it with much more under much much greater regime of censorship. I mean, how many how many handles have you had on Twitter? I mean, the one I have, um, Chris made that for me. I don't know. I mean, like, I was, remember when the, someone had got in, like, the chat rooms for the Mutton group, right? And they they kept a database of who they'd managed to get um, taken down, right? And Oh, exactly. Oh, you had several on there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was actually top of the table. <laughs> was... Yeah, you were doing good. <laughs> I won that one. <laughs> actually, but... I have a list. Yeah. I have a list that I've made um, based off of like one I saw online, and uh, but yeah. So anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, no, I'm just I'm just saying that, that there's there's different there's different parts of this fight, right? That have to have to take place, and you know the the simple fact. I I kind of like this part, right? Of the um, back and forth, and the um, it it's fills up time for me and i actually you learn a lot you get exposed to a lot of um data you have exposed me to a broader range of different areas from you or your guests mm. than any other podcast 
Well, except maybe like Joe Rogan, you know, but yeah, but that's like, that's a different league, league right? <clears throat> yeah, it's a different league. But no, I mean, you you have a broad range of different people with different interests and, and experience. And oh god, which reminds me, I'm I'm meant to contact this historian about. Well, Jake Chansley still wants to get in your. Uh, he still wants to talk about metaphysical stuff with you. Yeah, yeah, I, I want to do that as well. Um, but there's, you know, I think this, this, um, it, it, it has to, it has to take place. So you have to speak with Colin. I, like I, I respect Iggy's opinion a lot. I really like that dude, um, and just his, right? He he knows that you're, we're in a back against the wall situation, right? And I I I don't want to give too much away about the areas and like his professional domain and what that means but he's he is laser focused on oh we've got big problem on our hands and i could understand his frustration with why are you spending time talking to someone like john cullen with essentially easily dis disprovable and iggy interacted with him and within like three or four posts john cullen had blocked him and iggy was polite asking questions and right. pushed him in the and so, but there still needs to be that public show of, okay, you've interacted and shown that they're, um, they're being dishonest about the data. It's like Copeland and trying to dismiss the amyloid and just making such a harebrained fuck up of what the data actually means. And people right. need to see it, right, to um, do. concretize it in their mind. And, um, you know... I, I don't know everything, um, and I like I say I learn a lot from even accounts. I don't particularly like the individual or their politics. I'm still learning data from them. It's you know a good example is uh, what's his name, Morris. Oh, and that's he, daddy. He, yeah, that is daddy. He's always breaking down. Um, Rancor's data. I don't. I don't like him because he's um, he's bitten onto that the vaccines were one hundred percent safe and effective, and I don't, I don't think the data supports that. Um, so we, I've got a vehement disagreement in that, and I don't like the he's the type of academic that makes me bristle because I know the type, right? But he he does a good job in laying out data and saying, this is this is where the problems are. And he spent the time to do it. And so I recognize that it's important. You, you can take it and you can use it and you have to be able to build it up. And it's the same across multiple domains. And you have to, you have, to have multi-domain, um, at least parity. And hopefully you get, I won't say supremacy, but your, um, your ability to take argument and data from the other side that they are thinking is uh, a knockdown um, point be able to rebut it fast and that's that's the change that i've seen from or how i thought things were operating prior to covid right you had this sort of slow rhythm to academic interaction and and debate and often you know it's very sort of small clicky circles often in academia anyway and then we've been put into this um fast paced where these people have the and this is this is the I forget what you called it. But when some when someone is able to dictate the pace of what's happening such that you're you're having to respond all the time, 
Right. Oh, um, yeah. So in the, in, the, in the Marine Corps, this is probably the biggest single combat theory that the Marine Corps holds is that maintaining the initiative is always like, a, which is an absolute fundamental aspect of, of any mission or anything that you go on. The ultimate goal of what we're trying to do is maintain the initiative because if you do that, then the other side is always responding to what you're doing. Instead of being proactive, they, they have to be reactive because they they never quite have their footing. <clears throat> and in fact, I just, when I was in Texas and for the wedding in September for my sister, I was playing chess with my twin brother. <clears throat> and we used to, like when we were little kids, you know, we were playing- I do have a twin brother. Well, he's not identical. He, he's not even remotely close to being identical. Oh, we can't hear you, Kevin. Oh, sorry. Uh, I said that would break the universe. Couldn't have uh, two, that would break two the Rixes. <laughs> wow. And he is a Rixie, but uh, he's older by 30 seconds, which he always grinds me. But then, you know, I was a Marine and he was in the Air Force. So, oh, well, what's going to do? But anyway, um, but we were playing chess and we hadn't, it had been so long, like we were in single digits of age when we played chess like on the NES, you know, playing battle chess in 1990. Um, but he had, like he, I hadn't played against him in forever, but but whenever we would all visit together, like he, chess is something that my family does when we play around. Well, and I don't play a lot of chess, but when I, when I played him for the first time, I beat him. And I beat him because I, I wasn't even thinking of this, but I, I was able to maintain the initiative. And after it was over, we were talking about it. And he was like, well, yeah, you were able to do that. And typically I'm the one that's always able to dictate the flow of play. And, but, but it's, it's, a, it's a mindset for that. But in the grander scheme of things, that's how information warfare, that's what they try to do. They're always, just like when other domains, full spectrum dominance, you want to always be maintaining the initiative and all those things. Mm -hmm. Because that's how you were able to control the battlefield or in this case the information warfare battle space and censorship is a great way to to do that i mm -hmm. mean the fact that you know the vaccine injured the vaccine injured were being censored you know on facebook and other platforms when of all the human beings that you would think you why, why would you ever censor people who had real life horrific experience like that's just absolutely horrific but they but because they were able to do that people didn't know how many of them there were and so it's absolutely despicable but it's exactly what they do and so to see people on our side using those same tactics is just horrific because it's not justifiable under any conditions um you there's yeah, it's dangerous too, and it kills because that that Facebook one of the Facebook groups you're talking about had like tw almost twenty thousand people in it. They lost that lifeline, and there's a lot of suicides committed because of that when that group went down because they were you know abandoned again, and that was the, that was the only thing that was keeping them afloat. Yeah, well, well, that's why. I mean, that's just one aspect of why I think censorship is mm -hmm. so horrible, and and so these debates as as much as some people may think they're not necessary or, or whatever, but if the other side of anything 
is willing to have a debate and it's something as serious as what we're talking about, then, you know, Kevin did it with the no virus people and I'm absolutely willing to do it with anybody who's willing to talk about any of this. And it, it shouldn't be John Cullen debating me. And to be honest, there's better people than me qualified to argue my piece. Well, maybe in some areas, maybe not, just because of the simple volume of, of research that I've done and the fact that a lot of the conclusions that I've drawn came directly from the work that I did and the findings that I made. And so, um, so yeah, there are some areas in, when it comes to the COVID-19 pandemic and, and, and the things that I talk about, I defer when it's not something that I'm an expert in, but when it is something that I am an expert in, then I'm willing to debate anybody on. And, and even, even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't seem fruitful, just the simple act of that debate and being available on platforms where other people can go and watch it, it's in the historical record, and people can see the two sides of that debate. And I think that's incredibly important. And, and sadly, it's something that doesn't happen very often. Well, so it's when it's really under attack, that's the thing. I'm willing to do it. It's yeah. under, under attack, and they want this. Someone, someone made a comment in my Telegram just about, you know, what's going to happen is, you know, they're, they have learned from this series of events. How do they, what's their response going to be? You made a very good point about you, you're going to have to, essentially they'll make it so you have to be licensed to be on these platforms, right? Oh, well, yeah. Right. Um, and and that, spouting these points, yeah. That's a very dangerous um, pathway to go down because we've seen, we've seen what happened as we saw, well, I don't want to say it was, Groupthink, I think, is something different to what we actually saw, which was more coerced. Um, well, it's, it's not sort of Skinner-like conditioning, but it's it certainly it was more stick than carrot <laughs> a lot of the time, as they oh, force absolutely. people down this pathway, and they they have very very sophisticated network or not network but um i don't know yeah, yeah it's like game theory planning in terms of algorithms that they would use to try to achieve a, a particular result and a lot of it from my perspective is them trying to drag out time so that we're not talking about the one thing that is most Absolutely. critical which is wait did we just get did we just get attacked and then well, if, that's why Hotez. That's why Hotez literally wrote in a peer-reviewed publication. Oh, hopefully my internet gets a little better. Yeah, we lost oh. your camera, but yeah, you're back. Okay, he literally wrote. He he compared anti-science people who disagreed with him on science mm. to Nazis, mm. and I, I wrote in an article that how ironic is it that the people who are censoring are saying that we're the fascists mm. and that the only way to solve this problem is more censorship. He mm. clearly doesn't know anything about the Nazis because that's exactly what he was arguing for. Mm -mm -mm. Yeah, it's disgusting. But because he's Peter Hotez, he has a dozen peer-reviewed publications and journals just in the last three years. I listed him in my, uh, in my article where he's saying the same stuff over and over again. And they won't allow any voices 
to to argue with them. Mm-hmm. And so, I, and I'll just throw this out there. I literally was interacting and going back and forth very respectfully, even more respectfully than I was now, with Christian Anderson, Eddie Holmes, Angie Rasmussen, Amy Maxman, back when I first joined Drastic in in the beginning of 2021, when I knew exponentially less than I know now. But I still, within that span of six or nine months, I had at least learned enough to ask intelligent questions. And scientists scientists argue and talk about how important it is to interface with the public. But here I was asking genuine questions, quoting from papers and linking to them. They don't want you to ask questions. And within within a few times, always, they would block me. Yeah, this, so this, so this, I've this, actually had interactions yeah, with them. They block me just because I'm vaccinated, period. Well, yeah. well, you're now connected to a lot of us, and so you're clearly on a list just like we are. Hmm. But even back then, the, when you were a scientist and you can't even defend what you're saying to the public, then, then, and, and so the only, only response that you have is to resort to censorship, then you don't, you don't have a winning argument. Mm-hmm. So, yep. and even now, like, you know, I'm not a genomics expert, not even, I don't, I don't know anything about any of this stuff, except I know enough to be able to brief. I know enough to say, okay, I know what meta genomic sequencing is, and I know we, what we should expect the outputs of that to be and the lessons that we can draw from it. And so I can try to ask legitimate questions about it. Mm-hmm. And I've spent a lot of time trying to educate people who haven't read as much as I have, who aren't scientists in the slightest, about scientific matters. It doesn't make me a scientist. But Well, don't, don't underestimate. About, you have to have a certain amount of, you have to do some due diligence even if you're not, you have to, it's incumbent upon you, if you're going to speak about these things, then it's incumbent upon you to do that research and to be honest about it and honest about your limits about it. Mm. And that's not what's happening with most people. Well, I, I would just add this caveat. Like, don't um, put down the, the level of discourse and debate that you're bringing. Same with um, Lindsay. It's great to be able to talk to someone who was in front line of hospitals right now and watched everything unfurl and took like took a hit as the as the secondary component was rolled out and the i don't know i guess you could call it like talent stack or something like that that's available should you want it in this environment to be able to go and say okay i need i need to understand what this is i need to that's available and what you're seeing from the other side is that because they've picked they're not picked they're forced to maintain the orthodox narrative is mm-hmm. that they have well it's it's a narrow narrow focus where's their biowarfare experts talking you don't see them right you mean Gigi Granval? no she's not a fucking, what has, that's literally what she's a biosafety bio weapons that's what she's supposed to be and once again that's what I that's why I was so aghast and I called her out so aggressively I was like Look, you're claiming you've written books about biosecurity and biodefense, and you've walked these halls. You know what the Bioweapons Convention is. But you're sitting here making stupidly inaccurate uh, claims about Svetlovsk. In that case, it was 1979 
anthrax outbreak. But I mean, I've when I was a Marine, I read a book that she had written. Same with the Lori. Uh, oh gosh, yeah, I know that Lori. I know what you mean. Um, I can't. But yeah, she wrote she wrote a couple of, of books, and I read them. I thought they were pretty good. Hmm. Lori Garrett. Hmm. Yeah, two of them were on our Marine Corps Seaburn reading list of stuff, and so I read them, and then I would you know, talk with them, with my younger Marines and assign them to read them. Same with a book about uh, Lad 257 with, uh, on Plum Island. So yes, like <laughs> when I see people that have written books and are held up, it's like, oh, this is Johns Hopkins expert on biosecurity, National Academy of Sciences on their, on their special panels for biosecurity in three different areas or whatever, which Lori Garrett is. And then she comes out and says, shit like that well th the public doesn't even know how stupid she is because of all the censorship mm. she's just held up as she's never challenged there's no debates there's none of that stuff so that's why debates are necessary that's why mm. they crumble when they get in front of the public like in these hearings and stuff because they haven't been asked these questions and they know that they're going to try to lie their way out of it because they can't remember the last lie they told mm. well robert gary went on to uh was it Laura Ingram or now? Uh, Megan Kelly. Robert Gary went on to Megan Kelly, right? And Robert Gary is one of the Proxima Origin authors and one of the main cover-up people. And he tried to say some, he tried to use all these stupid excuses. And she had actually studied enough. And she was like, you know what? That's not true. You said this and you wrote this and you're sitting here. Um, you're sitting here trying to pass off stuff simply because you didn't think I read any of the information. But I have. And so I know that what you're saying is bullshit. And he just mumbling and stumbling. And it's that easy. So if Megyn Kelly can do it, then the only reason the public isn't calling for these people to be in prison or whatever, calling for them to be held accountable is because they don't know. They don't. Which is, once again, why debates are so important. Okay. So um, I might... So if I had a request to sort of wrap or, or conclude, right? So we've, we've done three, three and a half hours. And so there's a lot happened in that. So there's a couple of things just from the chat. I'm thinking I, that we could keep picking at these people for, well, essentially. So yeah, I do, need, I do need to go here in a minute. So yeah. And I'm conscious of your um, chair. Right? <laughs> yeah. As you may have noticed. Oh yeah. My chair. Yeah, that's true. I was talking about my daughter, but you know, mm -mm that kids it's the kids time as well so um yeah they walked in well <laughs> they walked in actually at the very end of mm. like i was still on stream with with them but, and so uh so yeah i'm i should be going pretty soon but so, so there's, there's a couple of comments so someone um chili saying drudge report is saying showing a picture of trump with blood on his hands and saying that trump has syphilis now Normally, I would be okay. That's uh, that's drudge, right? Um, but what have we had in the last few days? Well, we Jean Claude Perez went to the effort of frame shifting out the peptide reads, the expression products from vaccines, right? And what does it have? Oh, it has a uh, metalloproteinase from um. I mean, I suppose anything is possible. Mm. 
I mean, there's a lot of reasons why President Trump can have syphilis. So, yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> there's, not, there's not really a, I don't know that that would be shocking to literally any human being on the planet, but I don't even know. Yeah. I don't know what. Oh, look, crowdsource the truth is in here saying, Kev, you're such an asshole stealing my material and changing the name without all permission. Listen, wanker, um, I got you more views than your shitty little show did. And uh, we've gave a pretty fair <sighs> representation of what it was that you're trying to throw at people. And you are um, you're being intellectually dishonest when you're not taking into account the metagenomic sequencing and the fact that there is no um, influenza in those reads um until you can get past that um you're essentially a disinformation node that i'm just gonna bitch slap up and down the internet it's that simple dude and <laughs> well i mean what, what 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 i would say is is that i felt like we've given a pretty fair accounting of, of the discussion that we just had i mean that he's calling me a thief. So listen fucking homo jew boy come on come on stream now then Come on stream now and state your case and let's see what you have to say. And we know, we know that you don't have the science to back it up. You've just got your fucking boyfriend there that's trying to sp spill people a fucking line about influenza. Well, anyway. Um... <laughs> Who is that? That's, that's, the dude, <laughs> that's the dude that had the Ritalin grinding smile was uh he was trying to do that debate well okay so let me i don't even uh, what is he trying to say that um well we'll read out it's not, that, not that i don't mind the no no about the trump thing he's just what? he's just come into the trap uh let's see do you always change the sample to match your foregone conclusions i don't know that's um yeah, that's the first thing i see from him um then he says yeah, i don't Kev, why you why are you such an asshole stealing my material and changing the name all without permission because i'm doing a stream and you're putting stuff out in public and it's there for commentary tough luck suck it up and then he says do you always change the sample to match your foregone conclusions i just put um the title of the stream was charles rixie versus john cullen and um was sars-cov-2 actually avian influenza that leans more towards cullen's view uh let's see what he says next uh very poor form to steal the video fuck you it's called stream sniping get used to it fuck you bitch he says you have nothing but an asshole since i first encountered you tough shit get used to it this is the internet you're gonna get fucking mauled i'm afraid uh you changed the <sighs> name <laughs> i don't know what the name was uh let's see you stole my material you can't fuck you bullshit you're a cunt you're a thief Ready to block him free to, and you are mentally ill, hatful bitch. I'm not going to block him. I'm just going to say, let him, let him go. Let well, him just, I mean, let... he, he might not be wrong about some of those things, but uh, you know. <laughs> well, well, I, I don't, I don't really want to deal with that. I, I, I thought you were, I thought he was referring to uh, the Trump syphilis thing, but I, I, I think that's, it's kind of beside the point. So, um. Does Trump, uh, I actually saw this earlier and I did not make the connection between um, the neurosyphilis that you were talking about the other day. So <laughs> I don't, uh, but because it, because there's a couple of sites I always go to. Drudge Report is totally, it totally went to right wing or to left wing BS now. It was bought out. Um, but I don't even know, like, 
So Carville says it looks like syphilis. Well, Carville looks like he is syphilis. I don't know if anybody's ever seen James Carville, but he's he's a I don't know. It's not like he's a looker. Um but I mean this is pretty lowbrow um shitty stuff for for them to make these claims. I mean for Judge Report, this is even worse than normal. So I'm I'm a little disappointed. Well but, uh, the like I say, I'm gonna go through Jean Claude's work and just sort of see what we can pick out of it um somewhat I mean, it's, over it's the coming possible. I, I'd say that's a less likely explanation. Mm. Even if he did even if he did have syphilis, it's a less likely explanation for why mm. it would be present now because once again it's an infection that, that stays in your brain injury. Yeah. Right. It stays in your it stays in your body forever though. Um very similar to, you know, Epstein Barr or Gambare or all these or chicken pot or shingles. So it's it's another one of these things that can be activated and um you know irritated by SARS-CoV-2. Mm -hmm. Um because well not SARS-CoV-2, by the immune dysregulation caused by SARS-CoV-2. So I mean that could happen to anybody potentially, just like it could happen with the vaccines in particular causing, you know, Epstein Barr or other things to come back. So it's tough to narrow it down between one or the other, but it's the spike protein causing immune dysregulation. So in this case, it could be, but the even if it even if it is, it's more likely that it's caused by the spike. Caused, I, I have no idea if he's been vaccinated or not, but it could be. But either way, it's a spike protein causing immune dysregulation, and which if he did, it, it's not a stretch to say that President Trump might have had syphilis at some point in his life. So. Mm. It could just be a reactivation of that or, but either way, this is just, this is ridiculous journalism. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty gross mm. for them to, to put this out there, to be honest. Mm. I mean, cause here we are, you know, yeah, well, we just got, we got to look for those paddling feet and lacerations uh, on, his, on his hands. But if, if we're going to, if we're going to judge the health of a president, I think we have a better president to judge the health of currently. All right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what do I know? Right. I mean, Trump is syphilis, but um, you know, Biden is. Yeah, and you're, you're, literally, you're literally on the the tip of, like I say, mass geopolitical instability. Biowarfare potentially is being used, and you know, the, the differences aside, at least um, Cullen is talking in that domain. He's just off target. Right. And that's, right. that's and, why. And should... I have no, I have no problem debating him mm. because it is an important debate. I believe it's important. He believes it's important, but at least, at least he's willing to have the debate and he's willing to, to cover things that a lot of other people aren't willing to cover. He's willing to go into domains that other people aren't willing to go mm -hmm. into. Mm -hmm. So with that, I think we can end. Yeah. I didn't think that syphilis was going to be the last thing we'd be close <laughs> with. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll just uh, we'll end it there. And um, crowdsource, if you actually want to come on and... Uh, <laughs> I, I think that's a terrible idea. <laughs> but, you know, I don't think that's going to so be... so butthurt. I thought uh, it was just like a public thing to share. Uh, yeah, well, that's uh, that's till you're dealing with uh, K26R polymorphisms. Then the hashtag, they always come through. Um <laughs> All right, folks, uh, let me just see if uh, Charles earned any shekels today. Um, yeah, well, if I did, I mean, I'll, 
I'll let's find out. <laughs> Kill the daddy. <laughs> let's uh, let's see. Um, I've never used her for profit. Uh, I have used her for clickbait once or twice. To uh, get some clicks on Twitter. We. She's um, really cute. Five bucks, dude. <laughs> It's streaming so lucrative. I can, pay, I can pay for more nuggets. This is, the, this is the first fast food I've had in, in three weeks. Yeah, or, you, you I'll, should be well, careful with that. I can too. Need one more. Yeah, you're gonna feel that later. Just saying. Oh, trust me. Well, I already did. My face. I don't even know if you could tell, but my face was getting flush because I was getting frustrated. I was trying as hard as I could to be level-headed. Well, because you know I don't want you know more cardiac issues. Mm -hmm. I just I, have hot flashes, so it. I just never know. Yeah, I got. I could totally feel it towards the end of that. So, mm -hmm. and yeah. Anyway, all right. But yeah, um, I gotta go. I'll end the stream. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, Charles. Um, and doom. bye, y'all. All right, bye, bye. <laughs> and let's see. Let's uh, catch up the chat and. Um, so let's see. Um, I I say open the uh, the meme floodgates on uh, crowdsource the truth and Colin. Um, let the let the memes follow them where they uh, where they post. Uh, Kev's not a scientist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You keep thinking that. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, he just got he just got uh, out K two six odd. Uh, Breaks is laughing. Your material is coming through now. We know you're upset. We have acknowledged it. Now carry on. Yeah, okay. Uh, see, he can out troll, out science, and out thank you. Crimea River. Indeed. Um, let's see. From the river to the sea, may one day the US be free. Indeed. Um, should we dump all the other streams we have? Um, I'm not sure what you mean. Uh, Pull up the stream for your own personal ego, holocaust, or your souls. <laughs> All right. Uh, Tendy fund. Da, 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 da. Five shekels. Donate them to CS, the truth, IDF fund. Does he really have an IDF fund? No way. Um, All right. That's it. That's up to date with the chat. And uh, I'll see you in the next one. I'm not on the screen, am I? So let's do this. And um yeah support the stream um whatever i get today i'll shove uh charles's way um let's uh let's uh let's fund his tendies all right i'm out of here Bro, you don't know how angry i am you do I'm like i was just leaving for fucking work you do not understand how fucking pissed off after reading that little line i will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine fuck these papers I will fucking kill each fucking pepper! I swear! <laughs> this is not a fucking joke anymore! This is fucking dead serious! I am fucking dead serious! These people don't know who the fuck they actually made! Fuck these peppers! No fucking vaccine or MRA or ever throws me my fucking blood blood! Never! No. I will fucking die! Fucking fighting for my fucking views and my fucking forefathers and my fucking lineage! Fuck these motherfuckers! Hold on, I like this guy. So check 35,000 for a minute. Where are you? 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 Where are you?